Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanning Grace, and as always, enjoy my Ross. Ross, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Um, huh. It's just sort of an average day. It's an average day? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll say, so it's about 6.36 in the uh, p.m. I'm hoping to make it through this episode without my power going out. I am kind of in the middle of a hurricane-ish right now, and uh, it's really weird. It was like overcast, rain, 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 windy all day, and then the sun just came out, and then it's dark again, and it's like... I don't know. I think it's moving further east. I haven't, you know, checked the... I, I try not to over-check the radar, you know, over and over and over and over again and, and try to obsess about it. But, uh, so it's about 6.30 p.m. I just cracked a cold one, a.k.a. I just opened a V8 energy drink. Sponsor me. But I just opened a V8 energy drink, and uh, I'm going to be pretty turned up for this episode. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be uh, quite energetic here. Getting some caffeine at this time of night. Probably not the best idea, but I was sluggish before, so I need to make sure I can make it through this episode. Your delicate constitution, Tannen. Just... Why do you, like, when you say that, and the way that you say it, why do I picture myself as, like, some turn-of-the-century, like, housewife with, like, you know, the bonnet and the summer dress, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like a whalebone oh, oh corset. My God. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, why, why did that image just come into my head? That is really weird and very specific. Because that's how I talk, Tannen. <laughs> My delicate constitution. Yes. Yeah, you you come home from from your hard day of work with, with the wagon or whatever, and you have like the 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 fresh kill on the back of it that we have to make for for food for the next week. And <laughs> gonna have to salt this buffalo to preserve it for winter. Our little house on the prairie, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting too real. We need to stop right here, right now. <laughs> yeah, before one of us dies of dysentery. Yeah, I was going to say, you shouldn't diss Terry. He's a very tough guy. You shouldn't say anything bad about him at all. It's <laughs> yeah. just not, it's not nice. He also has a very delicate constitution. <laughs> he also, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, speaking of possibly dying, and uh, it's not the best transition in the world ever, but did you by any chance see the controversy that happened with, so the World Series ended last night, you know, game six. The Dodgers finally won one. Yeah. They've been the best team in baseball over the last four or five years. They find they finally got there, right? They didn't get cheated out of the World Series or, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera. But did you see the controversy that happened during and after the game last night? So I, I've seen things about it. I haven't gone super far into the, the details of it. I watched, uh, I think, approximately one inning of the game, the last inning. So I, I saw it end. Um it was actually really anticlimactic. They just stared at pitches while they all got struck out, which was yeah. annoying. Um, yeah. So, but regardless, it was the next day when I saw, and I still, I don't know exactly what the details are, but they kind of baffle me, what I do know. So that that's the thing that's pissing people yeah. off the most, is we're not getting the full story from someone. And then if this is the story as it is, as it's being reported, someone fucked up really bad somewhere. Yeah, probably so, multiple people. Um, so for people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, the starting third baseman for the Dodgers last night was removed in the sixth inning, seventh inning, like somewhere that. in there, yeah. two-thirds two of the way through the game. He's removed. They don't tell you why right away. Game ends, Dodgers win. All of a sudden, Twitter and everything explodes, and the TV explodes with, he was removed for a positive COVID test. I have a lot of questions, Ross. Like, a lot of questions. Like, how? When? Why? Hold on. Fucking how? You know, yeah. So, um, for another piece of information that you probably need is that they they moved the Major League Baseball into a bubble to play the playoffs. Right. So they're no yeah. longer you know playing in normal stadiums. They're in a bubble. They and the Dodgers specifically have been in this city 
for longer in Tampa because they were there for the series before. Yeah. So they've been bubbled for even longer. So like bubbled, you know, because Tampa comes in and you have like new people. Yeah. But. So the, there's, you know, they've been in a bubble. They haven't had a, a positive test the entire time in mm-hmm. all of baseball that's been in the bubble. It's the first test in like well over a month yeah. or something like that. The first positive one, yeah. And apparently this was this was not just the first test that just came in. He had tested positive the day before. So they ordered an emergency second test. That was that's a little misleading. They're not one hundred percent on this. Apparently, the first one was inconclusive. Oh, which usually means it could be positive. It could be a false positive. So they have to like confirm. So they do another one, and then apparently they expedited the second one, and that was found out. And the thing I keep hearing is that result was found out in the second inning. Second inning, they let him play for four innings, then remove him. Yeah, that we don't know. And he was on the field after the game celebrating with the rest of the team. That's another thing that pisses a lot of people off. You will never hear the the, the Dodgers reporter say anything because they want to keep their jobs. But from what I can gather is he was immediately removed and told to quarantine during the seventh inning, right? No one saw him. No one heard from him. Um, he was told to stay away, not to come out if they won. They won. Security's not going to physically restrain the guy. He decided to come out. I think he was told again. Security was like, people were made, hey, like, he's out here. You know, like, the dude with the positive test is out here. And he's like, yeah, I don't give a shit. I'm not quoting him. That's not a direct quote. But he's just like, I don't care. I'm going to stay out here. Um, there's pictures of him on the field with a mask. There's pictures of him on the field without a mask. One of my personal favorites. This is some sarcasm, by the way. You know, slash S. Is him next to his manager, who is a surviving cancer patient. Who has a compromised immune system. He's just sitting next to him without a mask on. Right? And so, how? Why? And, like, look here, I get it. I get it. Like, you know, he's been trying to do this for his whole career. Right? He's, like, 36 or whatever, right? He's never been a World Series champion. They've been there so many times. I I, I get that part. I get the want of it. The allure of it. Go to left field where there's freaking no... If you have to be on the field, text somebody. Tell somebody, I'm coming out there. I just want to feel the energy. Let me get on the field by myself. I'll stay away from everybody. I'll wear. I'll, I'll put a fucking hazmat suit on. Whatever. I don't care. You know, do whatever you got to do. If you absolutely like have to, he's going out there, hugging people, kissing people. He was like kissing his wife yeah. or whatever and stuff on the sh- like. It's unreal. And like, yeah, like people at home, somebody's listening to this. Like, dude, you're overreacting. No, I'm not. As far I'm as really, I'm concerned, really as soon as that uh, inconclusive test comes in, he should be quarantined. Shouldn't have been allowed to play. Yes. As, as soon as that happens. Yep. So literally everything that happened from that point on, I think, is grossly negligent. Because we, and that, that's the, the crazy thing here is, right? Because you don't know the fallout from this yet. Like, not all of it. Like, oh, we're seeing some of a public opinion in the public court. But, like, I mean, people who might have contracted this virus from him. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you one of my favorite tweets from today, or from this whole instance that's happened. It's from, it's from a magic celebrity. It's from, from Ari, Ari Lax. And... I literally lost my shit when I read this. This is his tweet. Condolences to Dodger fans who now have to spend weeks waiting to see if people start saying, quote, at least the Astros never killed anybody, end quote. Holy shit. <laughs> because here's the thing. While that is some some hot fire to spit, whatever you want to say, he's not wrong. Like, Justin Turner could have just killed someone. It's very possible that he's going to get someone sick, and then that person might not recover. You know, because, like, again, I'm not trying to name names or anything, but, like, let's say that manager 
gets sick, he has a compromised immune system. What if he never, he's never the same? What if, what if he doesn't recover from this? Like how, how do you put people in that situation? And like, that's kind of what I'm harking back on. Like, I understand that you want to be out there. Just don't be selfish. It's so selfish. And like, I'll, I'll tell you this, you ask his teammates easily more than half, some very high amount to be like, yeah, I want him out here. Yeah. I want him out here. I want him. So that's, that's my boy. You know, the, the unwritten rule of baseball, you don't message your teammates, like blah, blah, blah. Any of them have a problem with it will never say a word. They will never speak bad of their teammate like that. I, I'll not, I won't say never. If, if one of them has they, something they bad happen publicly, of, yeah. I'll, someone will say something publicly if they lose a family member oh, because sure, of it or sure. something like that. Yeah, like they'll go off. But like, I, I, it just baffles me. Like it literally blew my mind seeing these pictures and stuff and people just being like, yeah, it's cool. Like nobody, nobody batted an eye on the field. The, the, the commissioner's like right there. Like, like on the field with them, giving out the trophies and stuff, you know, and just, it just blew my mind. It's, it, honestly, it feels like we've all sort of collectively just like. Shrugged it off. Yeah, shrugged and just decided like, well, we did it for like six weeks. It didn't really work. Uh, although Fuck like it. <laughs> it, it worked to some degree, but it didn't work as well as it could have because a lot of people ignored it any the entire time and we all just kind of got sick of it and now everything's sort of back to normal ish you know you've got to just put up like people oh man and people i i see it you know anytime i'm you know walking around i'll see people you know park their car at a restaurant get out no mask at all and as they're walking from their car to the front steps out of the front door, they'll pull a mask out of their, you know, pocket or purse or whatever, put it on just to get in through the door. So just viewed as this like minor inconvenience they need to, you know, go out to a restaurant. And uh, then you see like the million people that just have it around their chin or under their nose. I just, I, I just, I, and see, that's the biggest thing for me. I can, I can see it on your face. I'm sure they can hear it in your just, voice at home. I'm just so angry when I see this and it's hard for me to formulate coherent thoughts and co and like, talk through this it's it's like exactly what you said i went to the grocery store the other day our local one just has signs all over it like wear a mask state mandate wear a mask you know blah blah, blah. and there's just two different people in the, in the place not wearing a mask and i started to like roll up on one of them and then they turned around and saw they didn't have a mask and i did the whole like you know like i stopped i think everybody at home could kind of hear my pause i did the whole like i stopped and backed off and the dude just got this shit eating grin on his face and i could just tell he's one of those people that's just anti-mask thinks it's a hoax like, blah, blah, blah. And he was just so fucking yeah, happy. Is, like, actively amused by... My reaction. You. Yeah, my yeah. visceral reaction to, oh, my God, what is wrong with you, right? Best part, I'm, like, avoiding him, right? And I go to the other side of the store. I'm getting my stuff. I'm going to uh, check out. And I see him talking to the uh, to the woman that's also doing it. And I'm not trying to, but I overhear part of the conversation. And the only part I hear is, have you actually known anyone who's gotten the virus? You know, I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like when I hear that, I'm just like, you're, 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 you're so far gone. You were unredeemable. Like you were just so far gone at this point. Short of it, just wear your fucking mask. Like I don't, I didn't plan for this, by the way, coming into this episode. This was not planned. This is not me trying to get up here and preach, but. I mean, it basically happens every time we talk about something that's COVID related, right? And this is just the egregious. And the thing is, contrast this with, you know, uh, the Rudy Gobert situation from March. Like, uh, am I? Are we seeing that 
the same amount of backlash. I think, you know, there, I think the, the thing with Gobert is that there was just that easily replayable, like, clip of showing him touching the mics. And here 100%. it's like, it's just not as memeable. Yeah, it's not as memeable. You don't have the quick little, you know, you don't have the quick little thing. I will say this. In his defense, I think if you talk to him about it now, he would be the most remorseful person in the world about it. I think he's realized how bad what he did was and what what he did was wrong, right? Because he also didn't have the information that Justin Turner has, right? Like, this was still... When oh, you're talking, talking about Gobert like, being remorseful. Yeah. Oh, right. he's been immensely so yeah, and donated exactly. ton of time and money and... and Good! <laughs> like, that's how you should react. And, like, the thing is, he didn't have the information that we have now, yeah. right? He was just like... You know, you're still dealing with back then, like, oh, this might not even be a thing. It might not be real, et cetera, et cetera. So, wh- one Turner of the reasons knows. actually for the for the backlash from his team, from the and the some of the the um the backlash from the the other jazz players was apparently the jazz organization internally had been informing them. So, like, they were much better informed than a, an average person, okay. member of the public. That I so, didn't know. Yes, but at, but still, for like at least yeah. a, probably at least a month before that happened, from from yeah. the early part of the year. So, but still, that you know they hadn't bubbled the NBA, they hadn't canceled the se- or you know postponed the season yet, they hadn't postponed baseball yet. Because I feel like that's when it really hit home for a lot of Americans yeah. when they were like, the NBA just shut down. Holy shit. Like, do you remember that day? I remember that day and that oh, feeling. Yeah. We're like, because, like, you know, we're scared, right? You know, you're scared. You're wondering what's going on. I sat down to watch the game. And then, at, yeah. like, you know. You, you and I you and I talked. I was yeah. like, holy shit. I just, I, I think I text you, holy shit, right? You know, like, just the words, like, you know. Because, like, I think that's the moment it really became real, right? It became this tangible thing. You're like, we are seeing drastic, this thing drastically affect America, you know? It's, it's, the, it's also the first time, you know, a... COVID case had a major impact on a bunch of people's lives. Where yeah. like, you know, and granted, like canceling a basketball game is not a huge major impact, but it is yeah. like it, it's an it's an impact, and it's the first time we saw something widespread. You know, you hear about somebody dying in you know New York City when you live in the Midwest, like that just doesn't and for better or worse, it just doesn't move the needle for you. People it's not die real in New York City yet. all the time. Yeah, it hasn't touched you yet. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean physically touch you. It just hasn't touched you yet. And then you start seeing this on TV. It's just a result of how, of how individualized our our culture is. Like we, yeah. like the, then the United States, especially so, has this very individualist. You know, it's it sort of derives from the from Protestantism, but as this very deep individualism that run uh, individualist current that runs through everything. And that's why you see a ton of people who just like go off on their own, believe whatever they want to believe and do whatever they want to do and damn the consequences. And, you know, when it comes to things like a major pandemic, you need social cohesion and you need people to act in the best interests of the people around them, even if they have, you know, no real, uh, no direct interest in doing so yeah. for things to work. And countries that have, you know, cultivated that social cohesion have been able to manage COVID a lot better than countries that don't have that. Yikes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we don't have to, you know, keep harping on this, but I just, it blew my mind to see just the cavalier attitude attached to it. You know, to use a, to use a, an NBA team, there we go. You know, um, just the, the flippant attitude of either, either he just doesn't, ca- like, it's very likely he just doesn't care. It's also very likely that he's just grossly un, uh, uneducated on the subject. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to make excuses for the man, and I can't other than, like, he just doesn't care. There's two things that uh, that I see. One of two things going on. Either, you know, he's 
and a lot of the people in the Dodgers organization are not really taking this seriously and, you know, secretly harbor those kind of anti-mask um, sentiments. Or they're all at the level where, like, they acknowledge it sort of intellectually that this is a serious issue and we should do some things to mitigate it, but they're not going to put that above him being able to enjoy this moment. Like the, the, the number one thing to all of them is still winning a world series. And, and if it, if they need to take some risks on the COVID side of things in order to win the world series and celebrate as a team and keep all of that together, they're willing to do that. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of crazy. Like a lot of people, you know, my dumbass started reading the comments on Twitter, which they're that's never helpful. Like, don't ever read the comments. You yeah. know what I mean? Just don't ever. And it's just like people like, let him enjoy it, bro. You know, a lot of bros, you know. And uh, you can imagine what all the avatars looked like. You know that meme? And it's it looked like that. I, I, I see that. And then I remember back in like March or April when people weren't able to attend like funerals for family members. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. see their family members at all. Uh, I skipped a wedding I wanted to go yeah. to last week. I like, drastically all the, all wanted to the, go to you know, things that, that, you know, normal people, working class people have, have had to do, have had to make some sacrifices to try to contain this virus. And they're just like, no, this is just too important. But got to be a sports ball competition. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I will say this one more, one more comment on it. So he's a free agent. I think this is going to hurt him. Um, I think we'll see. I, I think that MLB I, I, MLB is investigating be if that that sentiment of being of like this is so so important it's, they've been working towards it their entire lives you got to let them celebrate it could be a once in a lifetime thing you know especially at his age and like that sentiment probably runs rampant within the entire major league oh, baseball. agreed agreed so does it especially really hurt the older him? crowd especially with the older crowd the thing is a lot of the younger crowd makes the decisions now thankfully but we'll see we'll see I I hope it does I I hope there is actual look. Besides the health of other people, I don't want anyone to have bad health. I want this to affect him in a negative way that doesn't affect other people, if you get what I'm saying. Like, I want it to be just him. I want him to have some kind of consequence for this that affects him and he understands what he did wrong. Yeah. Right? And you don't even need to have a, you know, documented spread that is likely from, you know, incidents like this or the cavalier attitude of the Dodgers organization. It, that doesn't even need to directly lead to instances of COVID being spread throughout some number of people in order for this to have far-reaching consequences. Because either you're going to do that, and that's obviously a negative just on the face of it, or you're not going to see any spread, but essentially they got lucky. And all of these anti-mask people are just going to be like, see, he was able to do it. Nothing happened. Why were you yeah. like, you know, worrying? Because they have no idea how to you know, fucking evaluate decisions. Can you imagine if they had to play a game seven? Can you imagine if Tampa had won this game? Because he'd been on the field for almost the entire yeah. game. Like, I, what do they do? Requarantine for a week? Start taking tests? I mean, it's a question that I'm glad we don't have to answer. But, you know, what happens? One more thing that I wanted to say about yeah, the Yeah, I, I think they, the responsible thing to do would have been to postpone Game 7 of the World Series until they test every single person in the organization, both organizations. Yeah. And then, like, what? Make them start? You know what I mean? Like, there's so many questions. Anyway, the, the one thing that I wanted to say about him that I was about to say a minute ago is he's, he's a free agent coming up. And the reason I said this is... He's been attached in a lot of rumors to Atlanta prior to this, like, you know, coming to the Braves. If the Atlanta Braves sign this guy, I will riot. I will lose my mind. I will I will literally be the um you see I'm I'm assuming most people at home have seen Major League. You know what I'm talking about? Major League. I will be that fan. You know, the ones that hate their own team that have like everything on inside out. Yeah. You know, and like has the song, you know, wild thing, you make me 
my heart stink or whatever, whatever. I forgot the lyrics that he makes. You make me vomit or whatever, whatever. The yeah, you make me sick, you know, whatever. I would just, I would be so mad if he came to my team. Like even if there isn't, you know, fallout from it, like physical fall from it. I just, I don't want anybody like that representing my organization, like whatsoever. And I hope, I hope that my front office, I hope the Atlanta Braves front office feel the same way. I hope most people in Major League Baseball feel the same way. But like you said, probably not. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But they, they have their priorities, and we know mm-hmm. what they are. Speaking of priorities, and what we talk about mostly on this uh, on this podcast, which some people probably think is too much sports anyway, um, we we had a subject that we talked about last week, and we brought up, and you know, you asked me, was I excited about watching uh, coverage of the of the MPL stuff this weekend? I'll tell you this: I didn't watch as much as I intended to. Um, I don't know if that's a factor of what was on the screen or not, because. I'll say this. I thought the coverage of the main page was good. I liked the way they had action all the time, even though there's no, it doesn't have the structure of a typical tournament, right? So the way this worked is, um, this, there's an asterisk here because some people didn't play, but everybody played everybody. They did round robin and you're just, you know, you're not paired up record wise. Cause that's like very difficult to do. So you'd have weird stuff like a two and five would be playing a seven one or whatever, but like that doesn't matter because everybody's playing everyone. Right. But there was constantly stuff going on. And the other cool thing, this might have been the most people I've ever seen streaming Magic at the same time that I follow on Twitch because everyone was streaming it. And I'll say this. I love the fact that they let them stream this because in the past they have not. I think it's cool. I think it's a good opportunity for the streamers. It just seemed like they should have been doing that from the start because you you want them to bring more eyeballs in. You want them to bring more sponsors in and more money in. It just seems like a thing you would do. It was awkward for some of the streams, though, because they were so into it and, like, so focused and, like, they can't interact with their chat. Like, you know, there's a bunch of rules. You know this. You're, like, you've played in tournaments yeah, where you're not allowed to interact with their chat. they're all streaming on delays. They're all streaming on delays. So it's it's a little awkward. Um, yeah, the, the streams are not as entertaining as they otherwise would be because of the restrictions placed on them streaming such an important exactly. event. So that's what that's what threw me a little bit this week. I thought otherwise it was great. I liked the coverage that was going on. The commentary was good. You know, the matchups were sweet. The decks were cool. We'll get into that in a second. It just didn't feel like a typical tournament, and it didn't feel like a typical Twitch stream. So that threw me a little bit, and that that sinks into your viewers, you know, your the way you intake, right? You know, like, think about like, if you've ever had to watch something drastically different than you're normally used to of that genre. You know what I mean? It, it throws you, right? It's not always a good thing. It's not always a bad thing. I'm just saying it like makes it a little awkward. I think overall success this weekend. How do you, how did you feel about it? How did did you take a little bit of it? Yeah, uh, I also don't think I watched as much as I expected. Intended, to. yeah. Um, I watched a, a fair bit of it. But yeah, I, I just it's hard for me to 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 watch the non. It was hard for me to watch the non main page content just because Same. it was. Sort of, it was just watching someone play Magic with no real commentary over it. You find yourself, I found myself drifting away from it. You know, like, yeah. I, I will say this, I have two monitors up, I'm a little ADD. You know, so maybe that has a little bit to come in, I'll have something coming up, I'll have, like, poker on the other screen over, and I would just find myself gravitating away from it a, a decent bit. And and it's no one's real fault, it's just the reality of the situation, right? Like, they, if you're going to try to stream that, one, you can't stream the event without a delay, because then there's potential interference, and you can't have that. And, you know, if you're going to try to sit there and talk out your plays so that your stream is entertaining, that takes mental energy and it's going to reduce your potential win rate. And, you know, you can't expect people to, to want to do that. Um, There's the know, clock as well to think yeah, about. And, and you're, you're costing yourself clock, too. So and this is a pretty grindy week uh, format. Yeah. At least it was last weekend. 
um, the metagame. So yeah, that there you're just, you know, you're kind of shit out of luck there. So there's not a real great way to do it. It's nice that there's the option because then you can kind of explore, like, you know, I'll, I'll hop in on decks that are doing well, right? And people that I like to see how they're doing. So it's nice to do that. But I was never on one of those pages for a huge amount of time. I kind of would check in with them uh, while staying on the main page, which I think is a reasonable way to do it. And, and it does improve the experience overall. It's just not a huge increase. Um, and maybe they'll continue refining it and, and making it better. But it was it was interesting just because... The format was interesting. That that was important. And so we got to see, you know, their take on it, some new takes on new decks. And, you know, Standard right now finally seems to be in a good place for the first time in yeah. about a year and a half, um, which is really nice with such a huge focus on arena events as the nexus of competitive magic. Now we have, you know, two playable formats. <laughs> Isn't that great? We can kind of circle back to like what happened in this tournament and what did well or whatever, because I kind of want to harp on what you just said. Like you just made a really good point for me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a step further. Do you know what I did this weekend? Like right before uh, right before this event went on last week, I, I did for the first time in a while, and then I did this weekend for the first time in a while, and then I've done this week for the first time in a while. I played standard on arena. Shut the front door. It's been a while, <laughs> like an actual. I have multiple decks built. I have ver- different versions of the same deck. Like, it's, you know, I have, like, you know, Gruel 1, Gruel 1.2, you know, 1.3, you know, whatever, you know, and then, you know, like, you know, somewhere the, the cards are different, somewhere, you know, and, like, I'm like, oh, I like this deck. I like that. I have opinions on Standard. I don't think they're super informed. I have some ideas, you know, some <laughs> things that I like, but it's been a while, Ross, and I want to like Standard. It's actually generally one of my favorite constructed formats, right? It's, it's let's get this wrong. Let's get this wrong. Nothing will ever touch a legacy in my heart, like, right? You know I mean? Like, my favorite decks there, like, you know, blah, 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 whatever. That, that that's I just want to play Legacy circa 2012. Sure, you want to play for money? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm joking. You're, you're probably actually favored slightly. Yeah, but you, you want to play some Maverick against Team or Delver? <laughs> do, do I get to change my version of, of Delver? Because I can make versions that are that are 50 50. Uh, most most lists have add four submerges. I'll give you four submerges. Yeah, okay. and I'll give you one rough tumble. But no cursed totems. You don't get to okay. cyborg cursed totem. Okay, me. okay. Can, can I have a submerged main? <laughs> you can't have a submerged main. That's bullshit. Right. Yeah, sure. But you can have a you can have a dismember main in one of your flex. Was that, was that card even, when did that card get printed? Was it was it legal at the time? Two thousand eleven. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, sure, sure. So, so it was sometimes in the flex spots if you wanted to kill, you know, Goifs and, and big knights. Right, right, right. Um, um it hadn't become super popular yet because the Gurger Mag wasn't around you, yet. But yeah, uh, you, you can have either Dismember or Forked Bolt as one of the one of the flex spots. Yeah, both both are great. Whatever. Yeah, anyway, both good. Um, so yeah, like I, I started to play the format. Uh, I'll say this: I think the format is cool. I think it's definitely cool. There's a lot of decks. There's a lot of decisionry to be to be had. Like, I, I also think the format's still in flux. We ha- we haven't reached the steady state. yet. Okay, which is good. I actually want that. I think that's been happening way too fast lately, and that's a part of the problem. Um, so my my early my early impressions so far of the format, and I you know I again take this for whatever you want. I haven't played a ton. Well, let's run down the results real quick, sure, 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 and then sure. we'll get your your impressions so we can compare okay. and contrast. Well, we had we had one person kind of dominate the tournament. There was a couple other really good records, but one, uh, Ray Saito went eleven and one. Yeah, with uh, with Gruel Adventures. With Gruel Adventures. That was the, Based on the the matchup data, which you know is a small sample size, still it did have the highest win rate among the the highly played decks at sixty five percent, an impressive showing from Gruel Adventures. It did really well in the untapped Red Bull event this weekend as well. Yep the uh, the big loser is Azorius Orion, and I know yeah. last essentially what happened was when the bans happened, 
people moved to like Golgari Adventures and, you know, there was a lot of flux. People were just trying out a bunch of new stuff. And the real, the first thing that emerged as dominant were your index. Azorius Blink, Selesnya Blink, Bant Blink, Esper Doom Foretold. There were a bunch of different ways to build around Yorian. And that last weekend or two weekends ago, they were dominant in whatever tournaments went on. And so it was Yorian decks were the talk of the town going into this weekend. And it, I don't, I don't think I can remember a worse performance <laughs> I in was a just significant say, tournament from a most played archetype. I was just going to say, you were like, it underperforms you guys. Like, Ross, you're you're really underselling this. This is historically bad. Yeah, what was the win percentage? 26%? 25.7. So it was only 16 decks. And uh, MTG Stats, the Twitter account, compiled this matchup matrix, which is great. And they calculated confidence intervals um, at 0.8. So an interval in which you're 80% confident the true win rate lies. And the 80% confidence interval for Azorius Yorian is 20 to 31%. That is not good. <laughs> like that is that's like as bad as um, the Sphinx's tutelage deck that Majors won that GP with from its Magic Online data. I'm gonna go even further. Think of the worst deck you've ever played in a competitive like event. That's what this was. Yeah, you're, that, you're you're expected to win three of ten matches. And it, look, its its best individual matchup was against Rakdos and Gruul, where it won thirty to thirty one percent. None of its concert, none of its individual matchup confidence intervals even get up to fifty. So we're like eight, you know, we're we're reasonably confident that this deck has literal no favorable matchups among the most played decks, and has a hey, we're not making it. We're not defies, making a joke like Jund with no favorable matchups because it's like forty five to fifty percent. Yeah, we're, we're that's talking, what you normally think of with no favorable. This is like actively this defies bad. logic. Like how, like to the point where how could it have been good the weekend before? I just don't, I don't understand it. It, it makes it seem like, I, it, I, I, again, no, I don't know what it makes it seem like. It really, like, <laughs> I, I don't understand how results like this can be, can happen. Yeah. I, th- I think this is like a historical moment that we're going to talk about, you know, like if you and I are still talking magic five or 10 years from now, we're going to be like, hey, do you remember this event where this deck just did this badly? Like nothing will Nothing will ever do this badly with this big of a sample size ever again. At an I, event. I, I wonder what the 90 and 95% it, I gotta say this. I gotta say about. this. I, I think that it did kind of have it, like, it, it had a target on its back coming in this event, right? I think this was the deck that you were guaranteed to see a good amount, right? And this was the deck that most people were like, I want to make sure I can beat this deck coming in. So that it did have that going against it coming in this weekend. That being said, it's still a heinous heinous showing for this deck i mean you're still looking at some of you know the worst win percentages of a deck played this much at a tournament ever and that's with that's with being said that like you you kind of expected it to to lose some games to people who were like i came to beat this deck yeah it's i just don't again it's it's just baffling me i it's hard to what were how did people who played games like how did they develop any amount of confidence in this deck? How did they win and then go here and lose? Because I, I don't, I I don't look at the other decks and see, oh, this is a metagame that's clearly targeting Zorius Yorian yeah, decks. Exactly, like, right? You know, Demir Rogues, Gruel Adventures, Teamer Ramp, Rakdos Midrange. Those are four very different strategies, and they all beat up on Yorian. Those yep. are the four mo- play decks past Zorius Yorian, and th- all four of them just beat up Yorian decks. All weekend. So 
What what does this deck beat? I guess it beats the bad decks people built on week one, right yeah. before, right after the bans happened. When you're still like trying to mess around and figure everything but, out, like, this deck still had a good curve. You know, but, had like, a Rogues good plan. was was around still. Maybe not the versions that we saw the, at the. Uh, I keep wanting to say the Pro Tour at the MPL event this weekend, but Gru- Gruel Adventures exist existed. People were playing it along with like Mono Green. I guess like does Azorius Yorian beat like Mono Green Food? People were playing that yeah, deck. Uh, that that might I be actually a good point. we played that matchup on versus live. I won from the Mono Green side. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it, it still did win. <laughs> nice little one match sample. So like kind of going into my impressions of the format, I will say this: I wouldn't have seen this coming, but I did expect Yorian to underperform. I felt like. Every time I played against the deck that it wasn't doing enough. It was doing a lot of cool things. A lot of powerful, but like a power thing. But like, I always felt like the turns one through five that like, yeah, it's doing its thing. It's like putting a permanent to play that garners some value, but like it would fall behind in almost every matchup, right? And then your Orient turn is supposed to like catch you back up, right? Or you're supposed to cast, you know, a Wrath on four, then into something to catch you back up on five. But even then, like, you know, the, the red-green deck recovers from wrath very well there's a lot of really you know you've got questing beast you've got the uh the two drop elemental that like if you have a fetch land behind it brush I mean, it's fire just elemental. brush fire elemental it's, it's it's fiving them i haven't even learned the names of all the new cards yet I'm, st- I'm that new to the format um a lot of good recovery there the the rogue deck can either counterspell your your thing or just play more creatures at instep right like they're not actually trying to like rush you down you know what i mean they they, they play the game with you very well yeah. oh it, rogues is a control deck Right, like it, it, yeah, the, the, most lists aren't playing many creatures anymore. Like the, I think the most popular lists are playing eight. Well, yeah, that's that's another thing I was gonna say. Uh, I liked the I liked the rogues deck. I was always way more happy to see my opponent play a crab than not play a crab because I think that's the worst version of the deck is to have this creature that. Yeah, you will eventually get the cards in their graveyard. That is going to happen. You don't need to rush to get the cards in their graveyard. And then you have the zero three that like, yeah, it's this extra game plan of possibly milling out your opponent, but that's not generally going to happen with the way this format plays out. And then you just have a zero three in your deck. That's a really bad top deck. Yeah, in a lot no, of spots. I, I completely agree. I think people are figuring out how to build the rogues decks. You know, they started it. It's funny when when the set was first released, the rogues decks were aggro decks that were almost all creatures and they were built yeah. around, uh, you know, uh, topping out at, at Zarathsan. And now they've realized that, like, the rogue creatures are actually pretty bad. And the reality is you just want to be a control deck and you're built around utilizing Drown on the Lock and Into the Story, which are actually powerful magic cards. I was going to say, and, and that's where I got with the rogue deck, is, like, those cards are fucked up. Those cards are really, really powerful. If you can cast Into the Story for its, its less than retail, right, for its, like, reduced cost, that card is obscenely powerful. And I have not seen many games where a rogue player has cast that card where they're not just dead already and has lost the game. Like, they're going to win the game from that point. They play to win the game, Ross. And then Drown of the Lock, um, I gotta say this. This is one of the more powerful cards in Standard. They got overshadowed over the last year, year and a half with everything else that was going on. I mean, I was playing this card in Modern and in Legacy and being very impressed with this card overall because it's one of those unique cards that... It serves a purpose in every in, in a matchup, right? Like it's a removal spell against creature decks. It's a counter spell versus like you know anything casting spells, right? That's like not you know trying to beat you down. And then it's everything in between and vice versa. Yeah. Like you don't have a card that's that verse. Like lightning bolt can't stop them from wrathing you. Yeah, no, it's 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 the fact that it's a versatile card without. While still being efficient, like yeah, it's still efficient. It's two, it's two mana. You eventually like you can generally keep up with the amount of cards. Right? It does it does have a slight drawback, right? With with the 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 if clause, right? But 
generally it's going to be able to do what you want it to do in the spot that you want it to do it in. And it's going to do it well for two mana. And then it's always just good in like every matchup, right? Like against the red decks, you're killing a one or two drop. So like, it's not hard to get that to happen. And then against the control decks, like you're generally trying to stop a three, four or five mana spell. And over the span of the game, they're going to do that for you, right? They're going to, they're going to put enough stuff into the yard somewhere. Like it's, it's not hard, right? To make this kind of thing happen. Plus a lot of your cards do just enough, right? Like, one guild enforcer, like one attack from, you know, the, you know, one of the other cards, or whatever, to trigger, you know, some of the mill, you get two to three cards in their graveyard, plus the two to three cards they're going to put there anyway. Now you just got the whole deck. Now you can just hit everything. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, it does not take long for that card to become really good. So we fi- we figured out the, the rogues decks to the point where, you know, a lot of them are playing Shark Typhoon. Uh, the, the numbers between those decks are relatively similar. Um, we started to see a fall from grace for that card, by the way. Shark Typhoon went to being like a four of in like every deck to being like a lot of sideboard and not main deck. And then like I think we're going to start to see it come back in. That card's just very, very good. It, but it's significantly worse than it used to be. Like, oh, of, course, of course. It was introduced into formats that just had easy access to tons of mana. I will so say that Shark Typhoon was a great sink yes. for all of that mana. I will say this. In the Rogues matchup, if you resolve that card, like actually cast that card, you, you're like 100% to win. They're dead. They cannot beat that card when it's resolved in play. Go figure, a blue-black deck can't beat a resolved enchantment. But even though there are enchantment answers in black now, you know, multiple in this format, but that's hard to do. Um, The deck that I think... Go ahead. If the metagame does get a little bit more aggressive, and I think both of us think it it is for this week, then Shark Typhoon seems like a liability. Yeah, it does seem like a liability. It's it's weaknesses against aggressive decks that condense the span of the game and don't give you time to make a lot of land drops, get a lot of mana, and utilize that that sync ability. And speaking of aggression, I got to say this. I was actually really, really impressed with the red-green deck. That was like one of the first ones that I put through the paces online. And here's the thing. It's not your typical aggro deck, right? You know, it's a little little different, right? It's got a little more staying power. You've got some decisionry to, to make here. I'll say this sequencing my lands for the first three to four turns of the game with this deck proved to be very difficult to me. And I found that that being the difference between winning or losing in like almost all of my games. Yep. I've, I've played a bit with, with Gruel Adventures. Sequencing your lands is tough with Kazandu Mammoths and Pathways and Fable Passages and all of that, all of the that red stuff. Mythic, the Red Mythic Land, uh, Shatter Skull. Yeah, Shatter Skull. Uh, and, you, and you need, you know, you need Green Green early sometimes. You need Red Red for Shatter Skull sometimes and Ember Cleave. So, yeah, the, the mana in that deck is is tricky and sequencing your lands definitely an important part of playing it. If it didn't have the Red Green Pathway, I think the deck would be literally unplayable. You would never cast a spell because it's already hard to cast a spell on time all the time in that deck. Um, I have never looked at an opening hand that has four spells and four lands in it, because let's be real, the seven-card hands have four spells, four lands, which is, I think it's just a great way to put that, to, to put it that way, because that's, that's exactly what the average hand looks like, um, which is amazing, right? Like, that, like it's average opening hand, I think, is the best in standard. That's why I think the deck is so good. You, the average opening hand, if you play it correctly, is the most powerful one and the most well-rounded, right? I have never looked at opening hands and had such a headache right away. It's like, it's kind of like Tron. And I don't, I don't mean that, like, it's the same kind of deck, but, like, Tron... The hardest decisions I always had to make when I played that deck was, and you know this, was should I mulligan or not my opening hand, right? And, like, the game would come down to that or how I, how I trans, you know, how I spent my first couple turns. So it's very similar to that kind of skill set. I think this deck is very good. I think you need to practice a lot with it in making sure that you sequence your first couple turns correctly. And then it's kind of just like, well, realize the way you should pace your cards in certain matchups. Because I found myself pacing my cards incorrectly in a spot or two. But I do think the deck is very good. I think it's very powerful. And 
I'm a big fan of all of my creatures hitting really hard, and they do that in this matchup, and they're all threats in and of themselves. And then it does have the kind of, like, I win out of nowhere thing, you know, like, everywhere now and then with, like, these super big turns of, like, Questing Beast and, like, a fetch land for some of your, your landfall cards, or just having a big Embercleave turn, you know, because you always have to respect that, too, as the other player. So there's a lot to ask for for the decks playing against Gruel Adventures, too. Yeah, no, there you definitely get put to the test. Um, I think the, the biggest thing for Gruel Adventures, because this deck has been around in different forms for a long time, but the addition of Brushfire Elemental has really been a level up for the deck. It is, you know, we've seen a lot of different two drops in that slot. I think initially it was Robber of the Rich. Yeah. Um, I tr- I've tried Lotus Cobra because I wanted to make the mana better. Um, and uh, I, I assume there have been others, you know, you play some Scoozes, uh, but as far as oh, like sometimes you play Rimrock Knight, sometimes you don't. Uh, but, but Brushfire Elemental uh, being able to hit hard for three or five harder th- than the you know any other option really. That bit of evasion. There's a lot of you know cheap creatures it's very looking to block. Actually, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that evasion is really important. And then sometimes just being a one-one for Love Struck Beast. Yeah. You know, and I, I did, I did find myself doing weird stuff like that. I remember there's a game where, like, on turn four, I did not play. Uh, I played my land. Like on turn four, I played my land, which is a fetch land, and didn't play like Brushfire Elemental. So it was a one-one because they killed my other one-one. So I can attack for six, and then I can, I can still attack the next turn of my Love Struck Beast, but also attack for three because I can fetch in my, combat you know, in, step yeah, in my combat declare, step, yeah. and then have mana in my second main phase. So I was like. And it took me a minute to figure that out because I was just like, okay, how do I, how do I see, you know, be like, it's like the, it's like the, the meme, like, you know, the numbers, the numbers are yeah. I'm like, I'm like, where, where do I play my lands? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what does the most damage, you know, <laughs> like, and try to figure it all out. I'm like, this is so difficult. And I think that's great. I think it's awesome because, you know, we, we, for too long, people have always said, oh, the aggro deck's like the easiest deck to play. And like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, have you ever watched good players play aggro decks? They squeak out every little piece and, and nook and cranny of extra percentage points they can get. And this is a deck where you can get that, and I think it's very powerful. I think it's very good. I don't think you can go wrong playing this deck in standard going forward. I think it's very good. I agree that the deck is very good. I think it's the big winner from the weekend. Should see a significant pickup for this weekend for the Arena Open. So it's a deck that you should prepare for. But I think it is a deck that you can prepare for. Like, Embercleave is not a card that gives you a lot of options. <laughs> it's a very powerful card. But when you when it's in your hand, you just kind of cast it and hope you it works. You gotta do it. And uh, this is this isn't your prototypical Embercleave deck either. You know, this is this deck doesn't have an infinite one drops and two drops, right? You're you're looking at a deck that has three drops and four drops. So you're not seeing you're not you're not getting Embercleaves on like four. You know, where, like you're not getting attack attack. Four is like Ember. the ideal. You get what and I'm saying. Like it's yeah, it's you, not you like you the mono red for four or five on turn six or seven. Yeah, you're not seeing the typical mono red draws where you're under a lot of pressure and you're expecting an Embercleave on the next turn. Like this one's a little bit slower. You know, you're attacking one or two creatures, not three or four a lot of times, but you still have to respect that card. It's still very powerful. And when you're casting Embercleave for four out of this deck, you're perfectly fine with that because it's killing them like every time. Your creatures are five fives generally. You're generally attacking with a three, three to five five at like all times. Yeah. So it's, no, it, it's doing it, a lot of damage. So uh, I'm, I'm just worried about this being a deck that might have been a little under the radar. I think when you're a deck with a bunch of haste creatures and Embercleave, you take advantage of the fact that Yorian decks have a bunch of removal that operates at sorcery speed. If we see people move more towards rogues and then you get more instant speed black removal, though, you know, there's definitely, there was a good amount of rogues in these tournaments and Gruul still did well and it did reasonably well in those matchups. Um, 
You know, maybe they move away from Shark Typhoon in the Rogue Stacks to handle a Gruul, and that should help them. Um, you know, I, I think there are different things that the I, there are different ways the metagame can move that are going to be make it significantly worse moving forward. So I think this is probably the this was probably the best possible weekend to be a Gruul Adventures player. And I don't think it gets better from here. I think it only gets worse. The question is just how much worse. Yeah, how much worse, yeah. Um, I That said, I'm a big fan of the that green core that Adventures plays. You know, it's really just Edgewall Innkeeper, Scavenging Ooze, uh, Kazandu Mammoth, and Lovestruck Beast. Like that set of creatures is just better than anything else. And starting there is smart. And I've actually been having success and really enjoying Selesnya Adventures I have one quick question before we like before we transition uh, for the the open this weekend because I've actually never played one of these. Are you allowed to play a different deck day one and two? Yes. All right. So it might be one of those instances where Gruul is really good for day one just because it's a powerful deck to get through the field or whatever. And then day two, maybe you're trying to beat Gruul. Yeah. No, I could I could hundred percent see that. And we can talk about the 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 format for the arena open is actually kind of interesting in in a couple ways. Uh, but I want to get to my spiel about Celestia first. Right. Which is a deck you've been putting a lot of time in. You have an article out with it this yeah, weekend. I've, I've been playing it, uh, and I'm going to get get some more work into it and prep for the Arena Open. It's easily my front runner right now. Uh, Kenji Igashira, Numatanami, played it last weekend in the Rivals League and went 8-3, and three, uh, didn't play one match because he was scheduled to play against uh, Allie Warfield, and she had uh, the fever or uh, surgery, not fever. Um, had, so he was unable to participate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so that match got postponed. So he only played 11 out of the 12 matches, but 8-3, and three, really impressive. Rivals League, you know, playing, uh, you know, filled with strong players. So uh, that, you know, in and of itself was impressive and made the deck stand out a little bit. And to me, uh, after playing with it, Celestia Adventures is everything that Golgari Adventures wanted to be. Oh, that's, that's, that's a strong statement. Yeah, so Golgari Adventures got some hype right after the bans, and you know it can be somewhat aggressive, but it can also play longer games because it has a good amount of removal. But the thing is, the black removal isn't very good right now because the the best the advantage that the black removal has over the other uh, uh, other options, other colors, is that it's very good at handling planeswalkers efficiently. You get to play Blood Chief's Thirst and Murderous Rider. Right? There aren't. A lot of planeswalkers in this metagame. Right there, there were almost none. Yeah, you see Vivians in the green decks. You see the Rakdos decks playing a couple Lilianas, and there's one other deck that plays some planeswalker. Oh, you see Ugins. I was say there's an Ugin here or there. Yeah, you yeah. see Ugins in the ramp decks, right? And, and you so, might see something in the mirror. You might see some some planeswalkers in the mirror if you're playing green white. Yeah, Vivian in the green yeah. decks. Uh, so the, 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 those are the three Planeswalkers that are seeing significant play right now. They're all like two ofs in the decks that play them. So they're not huge components of the deck. So answering Planeswalkers is just not a big deal. Also, these green decks are pretty good at attacking Planeswalkers. <laughs> can, can we talk about how it feels like it's a much healthier format when decks get to play Planeswalkers to supplement their their goal and it's not just the entire entirety of the deck? Like you're not just an Oko deck? Like you, you have a you you have a planeswalker that is a good sideboard card or a good supplement to what you're doing. And I think that I think that's a good sign of a format where you know your opponent is a play a planeswalker and you're like, well, the game is only 100 percent about that at all times. Yeah, and it, I think the biggest issue with the planeswalkers the last couple of years is that they were so difficult to attack. Yes, and, right. and these don't feel like that. These feel more attackable. Oh yeah, Vivian plusing going up to four. You know, yeah. that's, that's a questing beast attack. Granted, they have a blocker in front of it, but, you know, it's a 3-3. Three, three. 
you know, and you can attack it in the air. You know, Liliana is is not a honestly. You could ignore Liliana for a turn or two. Usually, yeah. they're Lilianing to minus three immediately. Yeah, and so it's on one, and then Ugin. That one you often have to remove because it usually removes your entire battlefield. Yeah. But that's like Ugin's not like a planeswalker per se in the same Ugin's way like that these are planeswalkers. Big spell yeah, payoff, Ugin is yeah. just a ramp payoff. So yeah. uh, that's that's one that you like to have some answers to. But uh, you don't need a ton of answers to planeswalkers. White does have a very good answer to planeswalkers and Elspeth conquers death. Yeah. So the, the Kenji's list plays for plays four giant killer, four skyclave apparition, and two ECD. In the main deck. So you have 10 removal spells, and they're all awesome. They're literally all, they all have a creature attached to them. ACD returns one, one's an adventure creature, and Skyclave Apparition. So you're more creature dense. That makes you better with Henge. Uh, you, one of my favorite plays with the Selesnya deck is actually minus two in Vivian, casting Questing Beast, and finding an apparition. So you that like sounds flame, really yeah, good. You like flame Tonkavu them. It's just awesome. Y'all can um, see it at home, but when Ross was saying that, my eyes got real big. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got a big grin on my face. That sounds really... You're really converting me, by the way. I, like, 100% am building this deck as soon as we're done this yeah, episode. Yeah, I, I, I think Bone Crusher Giant is not that good. The one advantage it get, does give you is it's good at answering early innkeepers. The white deck is, is not. All you have is Apparition on turn three. That said, I've actually had a lot of games where my opponent had an early innkeeper that I just didn't answer, and I just won. Play the play the white land that deals damage. You go to the creatures you control. Kabe- I've been drop. thinking about Kabira takedown, but it, like it just hasn't been an issue. The, yeah, the it's not Selesny- an issue. Then whatever. The Selesny deck is so much better at grinding than the Gruul deck. The Gruul deck usually doesn't have Rimrock Knight anymore, so they have fewer adventure creatures anyway. And you know they don't have as much. They don't really have good removal. You know, eventually they get up to Shatter Sculling, and that's pretty good. Um, that card impressed me, by the way. Yeah. Like your your ECDs are better answers to henges than anything they have. I think that's Vivians. the big thing for you. You have that big trump, right? Like you have you have ECD, and then like let's talk about how messed up apparition is. Skyclave oh, yeah. apparition, it's so good. It's like, just a, that's it's a multi format all star. And so this is kind of like what we were we were kind of alluding to when we talked about um, you know some of the removal spells earlier that like your removal spells aren't dead ever, right? Like they're always still doing something. Like you can still cast these as creatures on curve if you have to. They're not great, but like you can do it. You know what I mean? It's not just a you're not just sitting there with a hero's downfall in your hand like uh, I don't have any I don't have any hero's downfall like I I just mulliganed you know and like and you can cast some of these for card advantage too you know like some of these are drawing cards you know like you're when you when you have an innkeeper in play like I think this deck is very you know, tight when you have a henge you're, you're drawing cards when you're you know with Vivian you're seeing creatures on the top of your deck more often and getting also consistent spells. card advantage. Yeah. So the deck is a much stronger late game than a gruel, which makes me more confident playing it into a field that's going to want to beat green decks a little bit more than last weekend's field. Um, I think it, you know, your removal matches up very well against opposing green decks. You know, Apparition answers all the three and four drops. Uh, Giant Killer is really good against Ember Cleave. Uh, ECD is obviously great. So like all your removals, it lines up really well in the green mirrors. You know, Giant Killer on both sides is great. You also have a lower curve of adventure creatures. So you're playing Giant Killer, Fairy Guide Mother, which is probably the worst card in the deck, um, but but still it fine. serves a really good purpose in a lot of spots, right? Like, yeah, it, like, it's an extra one one for Lovestruck. It's sometimes like sort of Ember cleaves them, right? We, when you yeah, you, get the, you, know, the, you jump your your yeah. Kazandu Mammoth, or e- evasion is is relevant. Beast. Yeah, evasion is um, relevant. You have some really big creatures. Jumping a Questing Beast seems really good too yeah. in certain situations. And then uh, you have Shepherd of the Flock, so you have that one drop, two drop curve with with Innkeeper 
or you have the tap land into innkeeper one drop immediately draw a card you're like really good at being able to draw cards quickly off of the and get your value before it dies with the innkeeper golgari was also good at doing that because you had foulmire knight and uh order of midnight but i think the the white removal is significantly better and i honestly like i think giant giant killer is just significantly better than either of those two uh right as far Seems as che- cheap adventure creatures um and then Shepherd of the Flock is sort of the the key card. It can sometimes it just protects you know your stuff from removal, and that's great. Um, but late game, it's a two drop that just lets you rebuy all your removal spells. You like bounce Giant Killer, kill your thing. Bounce uh, you know Apparition, exile something. Bounce ECD, exile something. Sometimes you bounce Kazandu uh, Valley or Emiria and cast the spell that's now in your hand. You know. You, you draw a card with it that, that way. So it's such a strong draw late as a two-drop, and I think a stronger draw than like Order of Midnight would otherwise be certainly a much stronger draw than any of the Gruel cards. And I was going to say, like just looking at your list, I, I feel like that your deck is the best one at playing in, in every form of game where like you're maybe a little tighter on mana, you're still playing really well when you flood because you have so many stuff. And like you're just talking about like how Vivian draws, you know, extra cards because your your creatures are also spells. Same thing with some of the other ways that you're drawing extra cards in this deck. And your lands being you have so many lands that are also spells that like I feel like the card advantage in a green white deck is like pretty absurd too. This kind of feels like to me a little bit way the like in a way that the green red monsters deck that Brennan made, where like on paper, like when you look at these cards, it just looks like it's a bunch of mismatch of creatures. But when you put them all together, they work really well together. There's some synergy there. There's some card advantage there. His is a little more virtual than it was realistic, but yours is more realistic than it was virtual. And it all kinds of works too well together. Plus, I will say this because since we played a few of these in the Gruel deck, and I haven't played with yours, and you have it here, I've been super impressed with the Great Hinge as well. Like another card that kind of, of the got best overshadowed. Cards in standard. Yeah, it just got overshadowed so much because here's the thing. One thing I noticed when I was with the Gruul deck, and I'm sure it, it doesn't come up as much in this one, but it, it does come up, is I didn't realize how fast I could cast the Great Hinge with landfall creatures. I just like always had a 5-5, five, five, right? Have you, you know? have you done the turn 3 Kazandu Mammoth, turn 4 Fable Passage, 2 Mana Hinge, Questing Beast, attacking for 12? So I did it and didn't realize that I could do it. Like I played the mammoth and then like I played the land, searched the land, and then all of a sudden the card became castable in my hand, you know, like arena yeah, does yeah. that. And I was just like, holy shit. Like I didn't realize that that was going to happen. And I was like, let me change what I was going to do this turn. I was going to play a questing beast, but we're doing some other shit. <laughs> you know, we're about to, we're about to do some messed up stuff. Right. And so it leads to some of these like absurd draws and like these cool things. And then I like this deck because it feels like the classic mid range decks of the past where all of your cards are just good in like all instances up and down. And then you, you, you have these like very powerful things and these, you know, these early drops. And I don't know. I, I feel like I just found my new favorite deck in standard and I haven't played a game with oh, it. Yet. It's, it's, it's so fun. Like you, when the, when the, uh, ground stalls, you have a myriad to go into the air, you know, your, your hinges are obviously great. ECDs, like your cards are just pound for pound. So powerful. I think one of the things that, uh, launched the Yorian decks, was the fact that their the white removal was really good, and it's just that their threats weren't that good and they were kind of mopey. I think Gruel does exploit some of the white removal, but getting to play Giant Killer or playing you know, Giant Killer effectively and the, just having the green creatures yourselves to block and play good defense against them, as opposed to the smaller creatures that is always you know blink plays, um, really helps out that matchup and, and closes the weaknesses that the the Yorian decks would, would otherwise have. 
Um, but you still get to retain those really powerful white removal spells in Apparition and ECD. Uh, like it, it, I just love both those cards. They're so good. Oh yeah, and the the so the you're you're very right. The deck's very well rounded. It, it plays well in every stage of the game. It can beat down. It can pl- win the mid game. It can win a late game. Uh, and I think that is really going to help it be as stay around. Because what we're seeing right now is a very classic evolution for standard. It's not something we've seen for the last year and a half. And I think people got really scared when the Yorian deck started dominating immediately because Yorian is already a card that we're kind of scared of after the Jeskai Luka deck. And uh, we're sort of conditioned after the last year and a half to think, oh, the first deck that starts dominating, we found it, and the format's solved and it's broken. Because that's what happened for the last... Uh, we found the good card. Time. It yeah. felt like the last year and a half, we found a good card. We, we found the next broken it. thing. Yeah, like, and like that doesn't feel like what we're doing here. No, instead what we're doing is every weekend we're reacting to the previous weekend and we're finding decks that beat the previous weekend's decks and eventually that'll stop happening and we'll sort of find everything and we'll circle back around and we'll, over all of that time when we figure out, when we explore the entirety of the space of standard or as much as we get, then, you know, the top few among the decks that had brief periods of dominance will then rise to the top and exist in some sort of equilibrium. So, uh, and I think Selesnya Adventures took could be one of those decks. Uh, a couple of over overarching thoughts that I've had in the format and stuff like that. Um, I do think that you need to prepare to play against Rogues this weekend. I think it will be a very popular deck. There was a lot of people uh, going with the rhetoric that Rogues is the best deck in Standard. I don't. I don't buy into that yet. I don't. I don't think it is. I, I think, think it'll it, be the most popular deck this weekend. I, that's what I was going to say. I think it's going to be the most popular deck. I think it's yeah. really cool. It's really good. I will say this you're going to see it suffer because people are not going to play it at the level that the MPL players played it, where they're, you know, getting all this. Because here's the thing. Yeah, you said it's a control deck. It's kind of a tempo deck in a lot of spots, too. It, you know, it, it kind of, when it, when you look at the, the cards on paper, it looks a lot like the, the blue-white flash decks in the past where, yeah, you're winning by attacking with creatures, but you only have, like, 12 creatures in your deck. Like, what's going on? You know, you have a couple spells that can kill people here, and you have to you have to make sure all your cards get all the value they possibly can. I do think it's good. I do think the cards can work out well. I think creatures with death touch are very important right now in standard. You need to be able to trade with three and four drops that are big and fast uh, with some of these stuff. So I think those cards are really important. Um, the red black deck we saw uh, Paula Vitor have the second uh, second best record in the tournament. Eight, and th- uh, I'm sorry, nine and three playing that Rakdos deck you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. It's a cool deck. I'll say this: I've, I've built it. I've played with it. I want it to be better than it is. At least in my at least in my experience, I think the I think the deck is good. I don't think it's great. I think Paulo is just a freaking master and like knew his matchups perfectly. I think the cards are powerful, they're cool, they work together well. I probably need to give it more runs through the paces to give it a, a fair shake. There is something that I am tempted to try with the deck, and I tried a little bit, and I actually liked it. And I think this is something that we might see in the future if we, if it finds a good home. I think duress might be a main deck card in this format. And I was trying it out, and it was really cool. There was massive amounts of hits on every deck. Like, every deck's playing a ton of spells right now. So um, you get to take one of their lands. And I was just about to say this. There was a game where I took my opponent's second land because they had a spell land. And they had like they kept, like, a double spell land, or they, like, had an end of the play tap land and, like, you know, one of the mythic ones, and they were going to, like, play a two-drop. And I took it, and then they drew their card for the turn and paused, and they didn't have a second land. I was like, okay, that was stupid. I was like, that that... That's not how magic was intended to be, you know. It, but it also means that you're going to have options. You're going to have cards to take more often in creature heavy decks because they're playing a lot of those lands. You know, you're, four you're, you're, yeah, you're not missing. I'm thinking of like the most creature heavy decks, like mono red, right? They usually have like four to eight 
you know, uh, of these modal lands plus like Embercleave. Like you're taking a lot of big impactful cards, like hitting Embercleave, hitting um, ECD, hitting Great Hinge or hitting into the story out of these decks. Like you hit like one of their payoff cards, like what they're building towards. And this is really big and impactful in these matchups. Now their cards are like a little more inadequate. You know what I mean? And like, that's how, that is how a standard has felt to me over the last year and a half. It's more, it's not more just doing, you know, what we've always become accustomed to in magic. It's, I want to make sure my cards are as impactful as possible and then to limit the impact of my opponent's cards as much as possible. And this, this feels like, you know, cause it, it's felt a lot like Hearthstone. You know, we've, we've just curved out on people been like one, two, three, four, five. And like, Hey, here's my stuff. It's really good. You know, here's my really powerful cards. I'll say this. The card itself performed well, like duress performed well. I don't know what deck you play with, you know, what you do with it. Cause like, I, th I think it's, I think it's Rakdos. Yeah. And like, that's what I'm saying. I played it with Rakdos and like, I'm not sure, like maybe what I was cutting and taking in and out wasn't right. I mean, like, look, I, I haven't had enough experience with this format. I have not played as much as other people. I'm just talking about my, you know, my thoughts on the format so far, what has seemed important. And I, I'll say this, the card has overperformed because I, I, I brought it in in like every matchup. I just kept boarding it in. My, my experience with the Rakdos deck is that has been that it is a little clunky and exactly. really wants to draw a Timur it calls the dead. And it can look very anemic without it. You also like have to draw a dual land. Your your cards are very hard to cast without a dual yeah, land. Yeah, yeah. Your mana is also not very good. Your mana is not great. Um, so it, it's kind of like the pioneer mana for a little while. Where like we're just like we don't have enough duels. <laughs> like, you know, so loading up on cheap interaction is one way to fight the natural clunkiness of your threats and also fill your graveyard for escape creatures in games where you don't draw a timber. It calls the dead. So it makes a lot of sense to me to be medicking duress in that deck. Uh, I have not been super high on Rakdos, but I do think it matches up well against both Rogues and Gruul, which are my top two expected decks this weekend. So I do think that deck is well positioned for this coming weekend. I think it, it got some hype this weekend, but not a ton. So I, I think it's relatively under the radar. Uh, and I think it matches up well against the most hyped decks moving forward. So th that's a deck that is definitely on my radar, one that I might want to try out. Um, and I might have been underrating. So like... Another thing that happened is maybe I wasn't playing against my good matches because when, when I tell you I put it through the paces, you know, I played like five to ten matches with it, right? And that's not a huge sample size. No, it is the biggest sample size ever recorded. We know everything about the deck now. What's what's the new Fatal Push called? It's like Blood Chiefs something. Thirst. Blood Chiefs Thirst. I knew there's Blood Chiefs Ascension and like whatever, but Blood Chiefs Thirst. I kept drawing that card as like a two and three of every game, and it was never amazingly good. Uh, you know, I wasn't killing anything on curve early. Like you said, there weren't a lot of Planeswalkers in this format, which I think makes that card good, right? The fact yeah. that you can pay four mana to kill any creature or any Planeswalker. So, but when I was paying four mana to kill, like, Lovestruck Beast, like, yeah, after yeah. it's attacked me... There's so many me, powerful three drops to kill, and Blood yeah. Chief is at its worst killing three drops. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just kept running into, you know, these very good three drops out of the Gruul deck, right? Like, Kazandu Myth, uh, Mammoth, or, like I like I said, Lovestruck uh, Beast, Lovestruck Beast. Skyclave Apparition. And I'm like, I just took five from it. Now I have to spend my whole turn. It's also a sorcery, so I had to spend my whole main phase killing it. So I was like, oh, this sucks. And then there's games where, like, you said it's clunky. Like, I didn't draw my Meyer Tritons. I didn't draw anything to, like, mill enough cards the first couple turns. So my Liliana wasn't great on four. You need Liliana to be impactful. Or you cast a Croxa and then it sat in your graveyard for seven turns. Exactly. But th there were some games where, you know, I, I did whatever on one. I would like Croxa or Myra Triton on two, do something impactful on three, and then Liliana was very good on four. 
right? Like, I think I had a game where, like, I duress on one, I crocs it on two, like, killed something on three, and then, like, I know their hand is, like, all good spells, but now my Liliana's out in front of it. And I'm going to be able to rip their hand apart. Or, or like, you they're have not a gonna... game where you're, like, turn two, kill spell on your first creature, turn three, Timurit calls the dead, turn four, crocs you that I milled with the Timurit calls the dead. Yeah. Get get my crocs back, you know, or get a croc. And, like, yeah, there, there's... I will say this, that deck, I think, is underrated, like you said. It works well. When it works well together, it works well together. Otherwise, it's, like... It either works really well, everything's cohesive, or it's a clunk machine, like you said. Because like you'll draw one half of it, like you'll draw all the stuff that wants to have stuff in your graveyard, but no way to put it I, there. I, I also think it's a deck that can mulligan pretty aggressively and recoup that lost card advantage very easily. Yeah, because you get so much value from your graveyard and stuff. That like might that. be a mistake I've been making with the deck. I should be mulliganing more aggressively with it. Yeah. Also, with that, and kill scavenging ooze on sight. Do not let them scavenging use you. And play with that in mind. Like, I had a game where I was like, I could escape Crocs at this turn, but, like, what if I did this and this and I can Crocs the next turn? And, and it was, like, into their turn five or six, and they just, like, played a scavenging goose and took my Crocs and bent other stuff out of my graveyard, so it made something else worse. And I was like, oh, God, I probably should have, like... Yeah, I probably yeah. should have just played my thing, right? Like, it's like as soon as they let me. Yeah, I probably should just not give them the opportunity to either A, draw uh, scavenging goose, or B, have a sandbag scavenging goose be good. Because, like... They're not just going to run it down on two against you very often where you can just like, oh, kill it. And like, it never got to really get anything out of my graveyard. But sometimes you have to, obviously. But that card is very good against you. So make sure you can deal with that card. And you have a lot of ways to do it. You have that. You have Bone Crusher Giant and stuff. So there's, there's some in which you have to time that correctly, too. So they can play it later in the game to kind of play around Bone Crusher Giant. You know, make sure that you have to have hard removal for it. So I like that. It's weird to me that the deck doesn't play some of the Black Adventure cards. You know, like... I don't know, like, um, you know, the, the the one that kills a creature or Planeswalker. And Murderous Rider? Murderous Rider. I wanted to call it Murderous Knight. God, I'm so bad with names. I, I just don't think Murderous Rider is that good of a card right now. Yeah, and that's, I was just about to get to that. We're getting to the problem that we're talking about where it's becoming a little more inefficient, and it's like you don't have these Planeswalkers to kill as often. You're spending more mana to kill something that's, like, less mana more often. So, like, may, maybe there's a mixture there. Like, maybe I want to cut one of my Blood Chief's Thirst for... Murder's Rider, I, so I can spend three mana to kill a three mana card in instant speed. I think you just want to play Eliminates and Heartless Axe. You you might be right. Eliminate might, you know what? Eliminate might be a card that's pretty good this weekend. There's a lot of two and three drops that are very good in this format, but you can't overload on that card because then you start losing to like Questing Beast and stuff a lot. You start losing to the four drops and stuff out of these decks. So um, this is something you've always talked about, and I thought it's really, really good. And I got to watch you do this so much with Is It Phoenix every week when you were making it for our team events. Is, what's my removal suite for this week? Like, what, what are the cards that are going to be problems this week? And maybe, like, my fourth copy of this should be the second copy of this instead. Yeah, making those those small changes. I, I remember there was a weekend I splashed white for Path Exile because I was really scared of, of Death Shadows. That was so weird, but it, it, hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, oh, it worked. I top four. That was the one I top four in Worcester. Yeah, that was, that's what I'm saying. It worked. I was going to say it works, but, like, it was weird, you know, to see it. Yep. And I got to say this. It, I think this is going to be one of the cooler one of like cooler one of these things. We can. I'm actually I'm actually thinking about playing it. I've never played one of these. Uh, do, you, uh, do you know what the format is? It's standard, right? No, I mean like the the format of the tournament. Yeah, you play day one. You can do best of one or best of three, right? Yeah, so, and and you can you can enter on day one as many times as you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know they work. Yeah. 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 But you, I'm not you, that I'm not that taken away from. <laughs> the, I, I started looking into like you know which one was easier, and I know like these and the, they obviously you know tried to make the numbers to be as close as possible, so there wouldn't be a huge difference. So you you need to you need to four and zero if you're playing best of three on day right. one. Right. 
right? You can't or, lose. And you, yeah, but you can, or you need to seven two playing best of one, and it's generally easier to seven two agreed than it is to four zero matches. Mm-hmm. I did the math. I'm sorry, I'm sure you did. I would much prefer to play best of three, especially because that's also going to just you know, it, you, I want to practice best of three since that's day two. And, uh, you know, the the metagame is obviously going to be different. You're going to get a lot more aggro decks on day one. So I'm probably just going to play best of three anyway. But I'm a little perturbed that I, you have to be just, like, flat perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just, you, yeah, you can't lose. And I got to say this. Um, have you looked into the other decks that didn't really make a splash at the MPL event this weekend that could be good for this weekend? Because there was one you and I in particular were kind of mentioning and it's starting to make a little bit of waves on Twitter. I don't know if a lot of people talked about it, but Ari Lax wrote about it. To speak of him again, he wrote about it. Uh, I kind of I kind of stalk his Twitter. To, to he wrote about it this week on Starship Games. Cedric Phillips was uh, streaming this the other night. Had a really really good record, I think, in high mythic or in mythic play. And that's just mono red. You know, you're speaking of decks that might be really good in best of one. Maybe they're really good in best of three. And the rhetoric behind us, like the things they've been talking about, is is Cargan Intimidator good enough for uh, you know? Cargan Intimidator deck? sucks. Yeah, they're trying to say it sucks, which it kind of... I looked at that card, I'm like, hey, this might be a card that helps out Mono Red. Like, when you look at it, it jumps off the page, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of text on it. I think one of the issues is there's a lot uh, There's a lot of just cheap one ones. Like, when, when you're... Uh, and yeah, I know you can, like, pump it, but then you're like, down to mana and you don't develop as quickly, and that's rough with your Mono Red deck. Um, but yeah, yeah, Cargan Intimidator, just, just one toughness creatures on turn two that, you know... It, it doesn't have enough utility, I would say, to be really good. It's a it's a fine card, but um, you know they're, they're having more success with Rimrock Knight. That can be a pump spell and uh, and uh, Robber of the Rich. Yeah, Robber of the Rich, which is obviously just great. Yeah, but. and they have some other cards. They have Bonecrusher Giant. You know, it's it's a two drop, three drop yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Um, looking at the look, looking at the list, it's 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 kept intact all of its really powerful cards, right? Like it's still got Embercleave, it's still got. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the same Mono Red deck. It really really hasn't changed. The the biggest thing for it is that Mono Red actually is not good against Yorian decks. They have a lot of cheap blockers, a lot of early interaction, Life and game. you know, yeah. And then top out at Yorian, like that's a good plan against a, a, more of an all in aggro deck. Um, so I think Mono Red is a, a huge benefactor of all of these decks pushing Yorian down and potentially really out point. of the metagame. Uh, and uh, yeah, like they're maybe they're just not super prepared to deal with with Mono Red. I'm not sure how. I don't, I still think card, like cards like Lovestruck Beast are still great against them, yeah. and they're popular. Mm-hmm. The ro- the issue is the rogue decks just don't have much of a clock, so they just give the mono red deck a ton of time. Uh, in addition to sometimes just having sort of clunky draws with counter spells and these creatures that don't block that well early, um, you know, like you know an early physical uh, enforcer is, is not going to be that good. So uh, I, I do think you match up well against rogues. I'm not sure how well the red deck is going to end up being against green decks. Um, yeah, if you draw like two Love Shark Beasts, I, I don't think the the red deck can find a way through. We'll have to see. It it, it involves Torrent and draws them, you know, being able to go over you in some way. Um, I, I think the red deck is like like you said. I think it's a really good point that it it might be in a really good spot for this weekend with Rogues being maybe it's another one of those. Hey, it's a really good day one deck, and then maybe not as good as the day two deck, depending on the uh, the meta game and the way that shapes out. Definitely, I think the deck that probably right now has the highest delta between its level of respect and its level of quality. Yeah. Oh, great way to put it. The thing that I like about it, and this is something that I was going to kind of hit on, and that you need to make sure that your decks can do this, especially this weekend, since we think Rogues is going to be the most played deck. Is you see the deck, please, Phoenix of Ash. 
and it plays Ox in the sideboard. And you start to see these cards start to creep into sideboards of other decks. I think it's really important for you and your 75 to have some kind of threat that escapes or comes back from the graveyard, whatever ability you need to do, or is, is relevant in the graveyard, unless your rogues matchup is just good anyway. Because if rogues are going to mill you, you might as well get some free value in the matchup. Yeah, that's that's been pretty common for for a while now, the oxes in the board. They're starting to main deck phoenixes again because of that. That's been a change. Normally you don't see that. Um, but no, that, that it's just another thing that insulates them against the rogue decks. It helps with flooding too. Like I gotta say, I played Ox in the uh, in the red black deck, and I was actually pretty impressed with the card. You know, like I didn't think I thought it would be clunky. I even just cast it for five mana a few times. Like it's pretty easy to empty your hand. It makes Liliana a lot better. You're like you know getting some value out of the fact that you're you're losing cards from your hand. You can also just pitch it to Liliana. I think Ox is one of those things. I kind of wish we had known. You know, it's it's one of those. Uh, it, every time a, a new format happens, there's always some mythic that went from like a cheaper mythic to all of a sudden being like an expensive mythic because, oh no, we didn't we didn't have these or we didn't have copies of these and people aren't playing and they don't have these cards and stuff and so like Ox is one of those ones that's gonna I think sneaky creep up on people. I'm not an MTG finance person, but it seems like that's one of the cards that's gonna sneaky creep up on people for price. You know, if we had to play every weekend, you'd be like, yeah, I need three Oxes weekend. Someone's like, you got eighty dollars, and you're like, what? How much are they? You know, kind of thing. Are you looking it up right now? Oxivagonuses are currently under three dollars. Wow, they're actually more expensive on Moto. Well, that doesn't surprise me. You don't get cars on Moto. You like they're the 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 they're just not available. So, but I don't know. Out of all these decks, um, if I played this weekend, if I had to play right now, I would probably play like red green day one or just because i haven't played green white yet but i'm actually going to probably play a bunch of green white and convince myself to play it and then i don't know what i would do maybe i would just play mono red day one if, if, if i put that through the paces and saw it was good here's the thing i think there's a lot of decks to choose from don't play orion play it most it's good i think there's a ton of decks to choose from i think the format is, is cool it's healthy and it's fun there's a lot of good stuff going on in there um we should be happy Right, like this is this is kind of what we wanted, right? No, this is this is great. I'm yeah. excited to see exactly what happens this weekend. It's uh, unfortunate that we don't have the SCG tour online going on right now because standard is finally fun. Are they are they doing another one of those relatively soon? I I will find out as soon as you do. I'm sure. Yeah, I was gonna say I I feel <laughs> like they should then. be I feel like they should be coming. I didn't know what their overhead was and all you know cost wise. Yeah, neither do I, but I'm I'm hope I'm hoping it comes back. I enjoy playing in them. Yeah. So, so being of something coming back, how about we talk a little Pioneer for a second, because there were a couple tournaments over the weekend, and what's old is new again, what's new is old again, all that stuff, and obviously, if you don't know who Jabberwocky is, you should be very happy you don't ever have to play him in some situation that you don't know <laughs> who he is, because he is broken. Yeah, this is Logan Nettles, um, I don't know exactly what his paper resume, he was, he, he was... He's done well at some pro tours. Was he like platinum never year, won when one, they had that but, system? I feel like he was in the like the last year, but I'm not sure. But say that again. He was was he platinum in the last year that that was he thing? was high up there. I think he has a pro tour top eight. I'm not 100 percent on that. He's though. really good. Yeah, he's he's just known as an online ringer, like one yeah. of the better one. Like he probably like has his, uh, like his cousin Reed Duke. He is a devotee of the Golgari mid range strategies, whether they be straight Golgari, Jund, or in this case Sultai. Yeah, and he uh, he got the he got the double up this weekend from the Pioneer Challenge. Uh, one of them he made it to the top eight and was quickly uh, dispatched to finish in eighth. But the other one he really made it count with a win for one of these. And this is a deck you and I have talked a lot about. It kind of disappeared. And I gotta say this this top eight was no slouch. A lot of big names even beat misplaced Ginger 
in the finals who was playing Nib to Light, which is like Nib to Light is designed to beat other mid range decks. You know, like just to go bigger and way over them, like Nib itself, Omnath, all these cards are going to be big, big problems in the matchup. Jabberwocky found a way to, to get through there. Um, kind of what you expect out of a Salt Eye Delirium deck. You know, not too much uh, and weird stuff going on here. You said you saw like a thing or two that was interesting, but just a good Uro deck. Yeah, so, you know, he also took third in a challenge last weekend. So Jabberwocky has been crushing with this deck. We haven't seen other people pick it up yet. It is not hugely different from Sultai Delirium list we've seen in the past. Um, you know, Shark Typhoon is a big addition that was not around when this deck first emerged uh, almost a year ago now. That was before Ikoria. Really nice for this deck because it's a great uh, early and late and is an enchantment for Delirium. And then an enchantment that goes to the graveyard of its own accord. So really nice there. Um, one of the things I notice is that he does not have the Embercle the Promised End in the main. Which is interesting because there's, it seems like there's a lot of decks where you want that strong late game card. But apparently not. Um, he's, he's kept his, uh, you know, tutor package pretty tight in the main. It was a little bit looser last week. If you look at that list, he's got like a Seagate Stormcaller, a Brain Maggot, uh, <laughs> you know, an Elder Gargaroth in the main. A little more uh, loose, a little more loose. Yeah. yeah he, he added a couple of mystical disputes this weekend uh, into the main and cut down on some of the creatures. So wanted to be a little bit more interactive. I like having counter spells with Shark Typhoon. He's got two disputes main, two more on the board. I, um, honestly, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a hard counter spell somewhere. Uh, and, you know, that's going to help you out in like the, the Omnath matchup. Some of the decks that go over the top of you, but it's, uh, you see Atrice, Tireless Tracker, Ishkana, and Clever Impersonator as the four one-ofs to tutor four. So, you know, Atrice is sort of more like, uh, and Tireless Tracker are your card advantage threats. Uh, Ishkana is your, you know, anti-aggro, I need to generate a board to stabilize threat. That's been a staple. Clever Impersonator is an interesting one. That one was only in his main deck on the, the one he won. And it actually, I think, went to the sideboard. Yeah. Um... And he played a Maze Mind Tome the next day. But he sideboarded the Clever Impersonator, cut the Elder Gargaroth entirely. So that sort of tells me that either he didn't expect to play against a lot of aggro, or he felt his aggro matchup was good enough that he didn't need it. You know, Uro and cheap removal usually gives you sets you up pretty well in those matchups. I do think Sultai is quite good against aggro. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I don't have st like strong feelings towards this deck. It seems like it's sort of been left behind. And here's the thing. When a, a person, Jabberwock has been playing this deck for months, even when, you know, it was, wasn't doing well. I think he would play other things, you know, uh, often as well, but he would always get back to Sultai at certain times. So he has a ton of experience with the deck. This is the style of deck that he likes to play and he favors. And even though, you know, his results of the last couple of weeks of that are really dominant, I'm always going to, in this situation, hold off until I see other players pick it up and replicate that success. It's like somebody putting out this like fantastic result in like a physics paper. You need somebody to be able to replicate your results of the experiment before you, you know, they start to take you seriously. Um, you know, the, the, how much of this is, is just Jabberwocky being an incredible player and how much of it is this deck really coming back? Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised either way, but to me, the jury is very much still out. I think it's a fair question. I think I think it's a realistic one because it's definitely part him, right? Like he's playing his deck perfectly, you know, blah blah blah, whatever. To speak of Sultai decks that are kind of cool and interesting, maybe not this one, but the other Sultai deck that made it in the top eight of both of these, 
events is actually really cool and interesting. And you talked about this is kind of the thing that's happening with Sultai Reclamation. And so what we're seeing is like the Reclamation deck going from a combo deck more to like a mid-range control deck. Yeah, there are your, you know, there's the four-color Reclamation deck in Pioneer that plays Omnath and really goes over the top. It has Expansion Explosion. Uh, you know, that's your a little bit more combo slash ramp Wilderness Reclamation deck. This one is a control deck, which we saw in Modern like a year ago, maybe. It was on the fringes, right? Like, yeah, it was, never it was a, fringe, super it was a popular. Deck. Yeah, it was like never super popular. It was cool. Um, I got to play against it a couple times when we were doing the BCW challenges. There was like always a guy that would bring it and, and play it. And I always thought it was really cool. I always asked if you wanted to switch decks every time because I wanted to be the one playing with the decks. It always looked really sweet. Um, yeah, so you're not seeing the big combo finish. Like you're not seeing expansion explosion like you're seeing, but Shark Typhoon's pretty sweet. Shark Typhoon's oh, great. There's one Thassa's Intervention. I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, that's a great one of in a deck like this, just really versatile card can be relevant early. You know, sometimes it's just a three mana counter spell and trades for their three drop. Sometimes it, you cast it in the, you know, you play your reclamation on four, untap and just draw two cards with it. Like it's a chemist's insight and start pulling ahead. But when you draw it in the late game and you've got to 10 mana, it's just dig through time. Yeah, and see, they've actually got four chemist's insights in this deck along with four sinister sabotage. So you're seeing that like they're trying to stick a reclamation, untap their lands and that's where we're going from here. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, have my two for ones. I'm gonna make sure that I'm always using all my mana. Uh, you're seeing, you know, castles in the in the uh, in the in the mana base, which I, I don't know how you can not have castles in decks with <laughs> with yeah. uh, with these. It's it's also even got some uh, some creature lands of lumbering falls as well. So a lot of ways to utilize all the extra mana that's coming from it, and it's just going to grind you into oblivion from this point is what it feels like. And it like I say that with the fact that it's going to start doing things very powerful and kind of pummel you down. Yet another good Uro deck. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. I was, One of the two lists of top eighters from last weekend has Nightback Ambusher in the board, so leading into being more of that Flash style. I like that a lot. I think there's a lot of mid-range decks in Pioneer right now. Uh, but generally, you're, you're a control deck game one. But with Reclamation, you're going to find a window much earlier than you otherwise would to resolve that escaped Uro or get that shark type, big shark down, 4-4-5-5 shark, and start closing the game pretty quickly. Uh, so th this deck to me seems great. I think, you know, you've got an, uh, you don't have a ton of cheap removal in the main. So I think game one, you might be a little weak to aggro. Um, but you've got extinction events, which is, uh, a great, you know, sweeper in the matchup. You, you get to sideboard into a much better deck against the aggro decks. And I think this deck matches up really well against mid range. And that's the thing I want to be targeting. I want to be able to beat the Omnath decks. I want to be able to beat the Niv-Mizzet decks, the, uh, the, um, the, like, you know, Esper-Yorian decks, even, like, Gruul decks can be a little bit bigger, and the Jeskai-Luka decks. There's so many different sort of mid-range-ish strategies. You know, you can worry about the mono-black aggro decks a little bit after sideboarding. is gonna carry you a lot in game one. You have really good sweepers. That's important against the Auras matchups. Extinction event It's gonna be really good, uh, against both, both variants of Auras, so... This deck, I, I think, has a lot of legs. Yeah, it's really cool, and it kind of it it gets to me on multiple levels, right? I love a good mid range deck. I love a good control deck because this is, you know, we kind of alluded to it. It's a blue black control deck. That's that's just what this is, and they just stretch the mana base, put Uro in it, and Reclamation in it, and we'll just Reclamation it. And there's a green card in the sideboard, and and that's it. Th those are the green cards. You know, you're listening. You know, uh, besides Wilder's Reclamation, I'm seeing one actual green card in the 75, and that's a Nissa who shakes the world in the sideboard. So 
I think this is pretty cool. You're seeing people get kind of innovative with their decks. You know, like, because I, I got to say this, you know, I've played some decks in Standard, I've played some decks in Modern, I've played some decks in Pioneer where, you know, you're playing Blue, right? And you're playing the second, you're like, can I just fit Uro into this? You know, we did the same thing in Legacy, like all the Blue Soup decks, like, can I just fit Uro into this deck? Because this card is that good, it's that powerful. And you see that it doesn't have to stretch the mana base that bad, and then you might play one or two other cards. And when you're looking at a deck that's got Opt, Sensor, Thassa's Intervention, Sinister Sabotage, Chemistry's Insight, it's got a Rewind in it. Uh, Wilderness Reclamation fits really well into that shell. Uh, by the way, Rewind, a card I really, really want to cast in Standard. I want to rewind someone into casting into the, into the story so bad. Because I just want to look at my opponent's face when I do that, which we don't even really get to do that anymore. I just want to see them vomit a little bit in their mouth and realize <laughs> that they cannot win anymore because I have never been happier in my life than casting Rewind into Restoration Angel. I don't care if it's a creature in play or not. That was just... That was peak magic for me. I loved it. If there's an auger bolus there, sure. I, I would love to put the top three cards in my library onto the bottom three. You know, I'd love to be able to do that. So um, this deck definitely like has my name all over it. There's even some Notion Thief in the sideboard for some some cool lulls and some some sweet situations that go on in the, in the format. So that's a pretty cool one too. But That's a nice gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's always a... It's one of those cards, in theory, you're like, yeah, this is great. It never works. It never happens. But when it does, I mean, there's some, there's some sweet magic history of notion thief there's that there's there's 15 great sources in this first mana base what about the other list i bet they have very similar mana bases yeah Four, eight, i would nine, i would assume ten. the mana bases are just yeah, straight 15 over 15 great sources in each of these mana bases why can't we just play growth spiral um i was actually wondering the same thing like where is growth spiral but like what are we cutting to make room for it and then sensor like, i don't know Sensor's pretty good and pretty sweet i i just want to play growth spiral I like Sensor a lot. I, th- I think Gross Spiral is a perfectly fine card in a control deck. You know, like, we can massage the numbers here. Maybe you cut a couple Sensors and, like, trim an Opt and trim a Chemister's Insight and get okay. to play four Gross Spirals in your deck now and get to those Reclamation turns faster. You fill your Graveyard for Oro faster. You know, you make your Shark Typhoons a little bit better, especially in aggro matchups. You get to those Double Spell turns faster. I'm just into Gross Spiral in this deck. And I... I even it, as reactive as it is, I think it'll it fits just fine, and the man it's not really a stretch on the mana at all. There's only one basic swamp. I would probably just play two Castle Vantress at that point instead of a Lockthwain, which honestly, like in a deck like this, that's generally going to have a high hand size. Castle Lockthwain isn't the best to begin with, um, isn't at its best, I should say. So there, there's you could put in some work and get get some some spirals into this deck. Okay, I can, I can see that. It's definitely something that stood out to me, like, where are the Grove Spirals in this deck? I feel like maybe you just don't need them, but I'd be interested in trying yeah. it. It's possible that Sensor is really important against the aggressive decks in the main, like, just having that cheap interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, in in more ways to filter through your deck as well. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah the fact that it's still not dead late. So, yeah, uh, make um, sure that you always draw Wilderness Reclamation, because like you said, you've seen versions that have two copies of Reclamation. This one, you know, had three. Uh, so... Yeah. I, I'm not sold. I don't. I don't think it's you know egregious to not play Girl Spiral, but it's definitely something I would try. Oh, here's a list that plays one Girl Spiral. That's a weird number to play, but um, that whatever. Uh, <laughs> but this, I I think this deck make, makes a lot of sense. The Pioneer meta game is very mid rangey right now. There's a good amount of aggro, and then there's Lotus Field. Um, I think a deck that has access to good cheap removal in its 75 while being really well set up. Uh, from the get-go against those many flavors of mid-range 
uh, is going to be in really good shape. So, you know, the Sinister Sabotage plus Wilderness Reclamation is giving you that just structurally sound setup. And then you have access to the cheap removal in black. That's really good. And then you have access to Uro to solidify your aggro matchup. And that's that's setting you up. And uh, the last thing I want to say that I just want to stack, it's a green-black deck that plays neither Thoughtseize nor Abrupt Decay. And we've seen Abrupt Decay kind of like just super fall out of favor in the yeah. format. Uh, but no Thoughtseize and no Abrupt Decay. Kind of weird to see in a deck that can cast both of the cards, but I get it. You know, it kind of makes sense with the way that it's all working out. Th- Thoughtseize just... is in the sideboard, right? Uh, I gotta say, I'm on a different deck list, but yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure they're there, but just yeah, in okay. the main one, deck. Yeah. One of the lists has two Thoughtseize in the board, one doesn't. Yeah, the one that I have has, has no Thoughtseize, so... Uh, yeah, just very interesting development, but it's like you said, I feel like Pioneer's in a good spot here. I'm seeing lots of different representations in the top eights, and I'm excited about that. You know, lots of different decks. You can play what you want. You can play what you like. You know, there's there's aggro decks, there's combo decks, there's mid-range decks, and we've even seen some control decks, and like, I, this is a control deck. Yeah, I would count that as a control deck. I would, like, you know, the the, the mid there are some mid-range decks that are really far towards the control side of the spectrum, yeah. right? We sort of we get a little loose with what we call mid range, but like the Esper Yorian decks are really more controlling. Even the Niv Mizza decks can be pretty controlling, right? They're play like there's lots of decks that are playing long attrition games. You know, if you want to be playing just counter like that Tapa or uh, Drago counterspell control, and that's what like the you know that classic style. This is what that's what this deck is doing. So you know you now have that option. But then you know a lot of different flavors of aggro. Mono Black is that sort of resilient, keep coming at you. Uh, my creatures match up well against spot removal uh, kind of deck. Spirits is like my creatures are tricky because I'm playing at flash speed and I have disruption of my own. The gruel deck is, you know, uh, really hard hitting and can go really wide really quickly. And same with Orzhov Humans, a deck I've been playing. So, you know, different flavors of those style. And then if you want to go tall, there's the Auras decks. So again, that's like every single sort of way of playing aggro, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all represented here. You know, and even and then there, and there's even a burn deck. I guess that that would be the last, sort of the last style. How much of that is you know the metagame being that open, and how much of it is the metagame just the format just not being that popular right now? If people just don't care, like you can play yeah, they if want, there's yeah. not a lot of people playing and not a lot of work being put into the format, you can usually do pretty well with most anything. That's kind of what gave rise to the false notion that Legacy was this great you know wide open metagame all the time. It's because it just wasn't that well explored in its early days. Same with Modern. Um, I think that's what's that's a little bit of what's happening here, um, but you know, take advantage of it. Play the decks that you want to play because you can do that now. If you have a, a firm understanding of your deck and a good build, uh, you can definitely do that. Once the, the metagame sort of gets, well, hopefully when uh, you know we're back into paper and people are playing Pioneer a little bit more, I think we'll see it contract some. Mm-hmm. All right, quick question: What are you playing this weekend in the open? Right now, Slesnia. And do you, do you foresee yourself changing your mind? It would probably take some pretty damning sessions, right? I could see myself deciding that the difference between Selesnya and Mono Red is small enough that I'd rather play Mono Red and Best of One on day one uh, and get the advantage because I think the Best of One format is a little bit easier. But then I'll play Selesnya on day two. It's really funny that you said exactly that way because uh, my answer for the question is I would play Mono Red day one, Best of One. And then if I felt comfortable with the deck, I would play Selesnya best of three day two. <laughs> Great and it just, it, it, Honestly, I think before I made my decisions for day one, I would ask a friend, hey, uh, are you proficient enough with the rogues deck? And they're like, yeah. I'd be like, Can, do you mind just playing like a bunch of matches against me real quick? 
And I would just play a bunch of games with them with each deck that I was trying to figure out. And whichever one had a better rogues matchup, I would play that day one. And then day two, I would try to figure it out from there and maybe just play whatever deck I'm the most comfortable with. Especially the most comfortable sideboarding with. I think that's the that's the big deal. Is you're gonna have to be playing games two and three for sure on day two. You might not have to day one. You get the choice this time. So um, I think I'm gonna be playing best of one day one if I play. That, that's where I would lean. Uh, that's the way I play most of the time right now in arena because I'm just trying to get games in with decks and stuff like that. So that's that's where I'm leaning. Okay. Well, yeah. we're all right. We'll see how we do. I will definitely be playing it. You're definitely it. playing. I'm like 50-50. I will likely stream it on a small delay. Yeah. Um, I haven't decided exactly how I'm going to work that, but I'll be streaming some prep work on Friday, and I'll stream the, the event. It'll be great. I would be remiss if I didn't mention our sponsor on this week's episode. Make sure that you check them out, Barrister and Man. Um, our account has tweeted about them this week. Uh, I myself have tweeted about them this week. I know, Ross, you're really looking forward to something that's showing up, what, is it Friday? Friday. I just got the email that it shipped. It's the Right now, the tracking, uh, the tracker says it should arrive Friday. I'm going to get myself some beard oil, and it's going to, um, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait to hear from you, like, what it's what it's like, you know, if you like it. Because as you can see right now, I got, I got a little bit of a beard going. I've been kind of lazy about shaving multiple times a week yeah. right now. Yeah, I would call that a beard. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I should be doing that or not. Because, like, I think I've told you the biggest problem that I've had is making sure that I keep the hair on my face uh, healthy and the skin underneath it. And that's been the, one of the biggest problems in my personal regimen when it comes to hygiene. Condition every day. And see, I just don't do that because, like, I'm not used to it. You know, I don't have a beard all the time. And anyone who knows me, I generally have some facial hair on my face. But, like, I'm pretty often, you know, because I almost never am clean shaven. But I'm pretty often, you know, well kept. You know, I got the uh, 5 o'clock shadow plus. You know, like the, the two-day look, yeah, you know, yeah. the day-and-a-half look. And <laughs> that's that's actually, if, if you could can something, you know, if you could can... The 5 p.m. tomorrow shadow. Yeah, the 5, yeah. If, if you could can the, the two-day look, I'd do it. That that That's my jam. That's that's where I like to be, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I was saying, I saw you playing with your uh, your brush there. I was going to say, another item that I really, really love from Barrister and Man is just the, the the shaving lather and the shaving brush. Uh, here, here's the thing. I've mentioned this on the show before. If you've heard this again, I'm going to mention it ad, ad nauseum. It's an item that I would not have out of my, gone on my way to get myself. But now that I have it, I don't think I could not have it. I'm like so obsessed and I love this. I mention it every time, but it's, it's my favorite item that I've gotten from them, that I use from them all the time. I use it to shave. It, it helps exfoliate. It helps moisturize your skin. I get a smoother shave. It's making my razors last longer, which I think is a big thing. Razors are expensive. I think it's really annoying that I have to buy them all the time and stuff like that. And I think I've said this as well. It's the first time I've considered being clean shaven in a very long time. I just want to keep doing it. But like, I'm just kind of lazy too when it comes <laughs> to it. But at least I'm considering it because of this stuff. Um, also, have you used the aftershave balm yet from them? I know you have it, but you haven't used it yet. I have not yet. Okay. Um, I'm obsessed you, with this you, stuff. You, you may be able to tell, but I have not uh, trimmed my I, beard in quite a well, while. Well, the thing is, I couldn't see underneath, you know, where yeah. you where Oh, you yeah. I'm, I'm in line to, to clear up the neck pr- pretty soon in the next couple of days. So I will use it then, and I will let you know. Tell you what. You, what you should do is the, either the day of or the day before your beard oils come in, you should clean it all up. Yeah. Like, clean it all up. Like, shave underneath there, draw the line, you know, get to use your brush get the after bomb on there by the way i want you to like tell me right afterwards if the after bomb's awesome because like you know i i've used aftershave before never been a big fan of it don't love the huge chemical sting to it and everything afterwards this is a little bit better yeah it's they usually just soothing. have a lot of alcohol in them yeah this is this is a lot this uh, there is a little bit to, of a ting to it i'm not gonna lie there's, there's a little bit of it but 
it's how you know it's working, right? So they always say it's how, it's how you know yeah. it's working, but it definitely soothes a lot better, right? And I feel like sure. my skin is a lot better and healthy afterwards because it's not just some liquid that I'm putting on there. It's like a bomb, you know? And like, um, I'm just a big, big fan of their products. So make sure you check them out. That's Barrister and Man. Use our code of uh, PioneerCast for 15% off on all your stuff. And I always keep mentioning this because I'm doing it right now. I'm about to start stocking up on holiday shopping because I am notoriously late at holiday shopping. And then I try to order something like 10 days before Christmas. Like, yeah, well, it's not getting there till January. Buddy. <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah. like, God, son of a, you know, like, you're, just, you know, so aggravate yourself. So I'm going to try to get out ahead of this thing. I'm going to get my brother. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. I, I know he doesn't because he doesn't speak this language, but I'm going to get my brother some of the stuff that we've been talking about here. Because uh, he, he's like you. He's a hairy dude, but he doesn't keep a beard. So he shaves quite often. And I'm going to be like, hey, man, you know, like all the things I said on the show, try this stuff out and stuff. So I'm, I'm probably going to order two or three of the damn things and just give them out. Uh, I was going to get one for my buddy uh, who just got married. I got him that and a magic-related uh, gift and stuff too. So it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited about stuff. But great idea for your boyfriend, your brother, your husband. There's some stuff in there some women could use too, but it's definitely geared more towards men or just for yourself. Hey, look. You've been working real hard these last eight months, right? The pandemic's been tough. You've been sitting at home. Treat yourself. Get yourself something nice. Go to Barrister and Man. You won't even have to spend that much. And a lot of reusable products on there, too. The soaps are great. Um, I particularly like the the ones that are a little more on the refreshing end as well. Uh, like I have a mint one that's very refreshing yeah, you're, you're after you're I take a shower. Mint. I'm dry on Seville. Though I do, I have a, I have a rival to Seville now. The oh, what Cologne is it? Roos. R-U-S-S-E. I don't know how I'm supposed to pronounce that. Oh, I, I think I have that one. I, must say, I just got three new ones in the other day, and I, I haven't had a chance to I try just, them all out. I just finished a bar of it, actually, and mm-hmm. it's it's up there with Seville. Yeah? It's really good. Yeah. I will say, I have a lot of lavender stuff, because my wife likes that, and I'm not going to lie, one of the first nights that I used something, uh, when we got in bed that night, you know, we are each on our side, and it was the typical that you're going to get a better experience of this than the people at home, because, you know, she's sitting there, like looking at her phone or reading a book or something, whatever it is she's doing before bed. And then I notice her like notice something, you know, like she kind of, she kind of perks up a little bit, looks over and the nose started moving. You know, she was like, <laughs> what, what is that? And I was like, Oh, you like, <laughs> you know, Oh, you it's like, like, it's like a dog smelling bacon. <laughs> it's like, I, this is the last thing I'll say about these kind of products with this. It's, it's really good for magic players as well. You want to impress a girl, you want to impress your girlfriend, you want to impress your wife, smell good. You know, take a little extra time to take care of yourself. It'll go a long way for the opposite sex. They really, really... Dating tip from Tan and Grace. There you go. T- take it from a married man. There we go. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and one who way out kicked his coverage, as you and I like that that phrase. We, uh, we, we have one question in the mailbag, and it's actually a holdover from last week. And I did not give it enough time to really think about it. Did you? Uh... No, but I do have another answer. Okay, so the mailbag question from last week, in case everybody missed it, um, is from Brent Wagner, our editor. Hey, Brent, we love you. Uh, what's the most overrated anything or the most underrated anything? Okay. On the overrated side of things. Okay. Cheese. I'm lactose intolerant, so I'm listening, but I do think cheese is great. I think cheese is very good. Okay, can I interrupt for two seconds? Is it yeah. because cheese is overused? Yes, people put way too much cheese on things. It's also, and they upset it also the balance too, of whatever they're making. Yeah, it could also be too often. But I see what you mean. They do smother it quite a bit. Jim Davis is really mad at us right now, just so you know. Yeah, I'm sure he is. He, you know, I'm, My brother is also in, the, in that camp. He so. also eats like he's 12 years old? <laughs> no, no. Uh, just smothers things in cheese. 
Yeah. Um, AKA 12 year old. Anyway, go ahead. But I, and like, I, I got into this argument, um, some time ago on Twitter about cheese being the least important of the primary components to a pizza. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that some people were just like, you've got to be kidding me. And it's just true. You can't have a good cr- pizza without a good crust because you need that crispy bottom. You need it to have hold, maintain some structure under the weight of the toppings. And especially the, the, and the sauce has to have good, good flavor, right? The cheese one, like mozzarella cheese, doesn't have a very strong flavor to begin with, and that's right. typically the, the cheese you're putting on, though I do enjoy a sprinkling of, of Parmesan. Give me a good goat cheese. Anyway, continue. Well, not on a pizza, but... Oh, even on pizza, yeah. Eh. Especially when you're putting less, you know, like... I'm thinking more of, like, Italian pizza, where, like, you know, they make the dough, they put the sauce, and they just put, like, a little bit of cheese and let it melt to, to are expand. You, are you doing, like, the dollops, like they do on a yeah, margarita sometimes? Yes, um, Yeah, you could do that with goat, I guess. Um... But like if you if you smother that thing in cheese, like it's just like everything's gonna fall apart with it. It's just kind of it's not gonna be good. It increases your grease level on your pizza yeah, too. Cheese is cheese needs to be used within a, a good balance. I do like a good cheese plate though. I'll eat cheese by itself, and cheese is good. But people who like cheese think it's like the end all be all to life, and there's a lot of those people, and they need to be told that they're wrong. Oh. <laughs> They need it, Ross. They they need to be told. This is very important. We have two major problems in the world today. It's COVID and then this. The the CC problem, but COVID yes. and cheese. But it's like, um, I really like, uh, what, what's the phrase people use for it now? It's like, it's not a cheese board. It's like a grazing board is a lot of things do people do at their house where they have like a board out. And it looks like a cheese board, but it has a bunch of other... Not just that. I, I knew you were going to go there, charcuterie, but like it just has other stuff. Like people are going really wide with it. They do it in all kinds of stuff. Like I even saw one online today. We're not going to talk about whether I would eat from this place or not, but I saw one where someone built it uh, with stuff from Chick fil A. Like the outside ring was the, like the, the nuggets, and then it had just a whole bunch of waffle fries, and then the middle of it was just a line of sandwiches, right? And like that's the thing now is like it's cool, right? It's like a good like plating and like fun stuff, but like yeah. mine, I like the more grazing one where it's like, it's like cheese, like some form of like, you know, nuts, maybe like something to, you know, some good dip kind of stuff in there. And then like all the way up to like some form of good kind of bread that's in there with like some hummus yeah, and like, you know, breads. that whole, yeah, just like, I maybe actually, it's funny. I actually have that for dinner every now and then. Like it's one of my favorite things to do is I'll just go in my living room, put a movie on and I'll have like, I have to take something when I do this, but I have like cheese, like yeah. maybe uh, a little honey. hummus, something to put the hummus, like, to, you know, some vessel for the hummus, usually like pita or like some yeah. kind of chip or whatever. And then some small, you know, portion of meat. I know you're not a big meat guy, but I usually have like some kind of very thinly cut deli something. Yeah, like a salami. You know, yeah, something. Like, yeah, salami is a really good one. Yeah, and just something along those lines, along that way. And like, I really like that. So I was pretty skeptical of where you were going with this at the beginning of cheese being overrated. And like, I might not go as far as saying that with you, but I'm definitely a little like if if there's a middle ground, I'm more on your side. Yeah, of the middle ground. And and on a related note, underrated milk there's a lot of people that just th- find drinking a glass of milk to be disgusting and i don't understand because it's fucking delicious okay so this is where we're going to differ i think it's extremely overrated we are the only animal on the planet that drinks another yeah, animal's drink, milk. yeah yeah I, it's like scientifically weird i it's, get it it's not weird it's just awful it's like you shouldn't be doing it anyway continue but it's delicious i mean like i'm not gonna argue with you that it doesn't t- like milk and cookies was like one of my Whole favorite things milk 
None of this 1% skim is an abomination. It's like milk-flavored water. I grew up on 2%. but We um, had 1 and 2 in my house growing up. You know, kind of oscillate. Mostly 1. And just the first time I ever had whole milk, it was a revelation. Yeah. It's really funny. Um, you know, we've joked about this. And, you know, the viewers at home or the, the viewers, the, the listeners at home, they may have, you know, called on that I'm practically lactose intolerant from the show or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I wasn't always, right? You know, I grew up drinking milk all the time and eating stuff like that. Like, blah, blah. I can even have little bits, right? Like, I can have. Yeah. People who are lactose intolerant find yeah, out. Yeah. Hard. I was going to say, I, yeah. Like, later in life, I became that way. I found out the hard way. Um, I guess it's more like the soft way. You could, you could say it's soft. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't <laughs> feel soft, but. Uh, that's actually how I figured it out. I had a glass of milk with some cookies before bed one night. It was actually, I hadn't realized it until I moved back to Baton Rouge from, from Vegas. And, uh, I was like just in the apartment with, you know, the at time girlfriend, now time wife. And we had done some, some shopping and I, I was like, Oh, give me some, give me some cookies and some milk. And I just hadn't, you know, I just stopped drinking milk when I was in Vegas. I just like, cause you know me, I, I drink like one of two things. It's either like alcohol or water. I'm like, a cowboy from the, you know, from, from back in the day, nothing in between. And I just quit drinking milk and now my body just doesn't, doesn't like it. Can't, can't handle it. Yeah. I, so I'm as much as I enjoy milk, I've definitely thought about transitioning to some sort of non-dairy milk. I've heard oat milk is really good. They're good. It's really weird. Like when I first started tra- like ch- changing, I remember like, I, it, you know, I, I like cereal. So I get cereal and I would use, you know, some kind of almond milk or whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's really weird the fact that it tastes fine. The consistency is so different than what your brain is used to that, like, I just could not get over it. Does that make sense? And that would be, I think that's going to be a problem for me, but I might, I might try it. I actually, I rarely buy milk anyway. I almost always just buy it when I'm making something, like baking. Because um, you would have to buy it, so, like, it's just you. So you'd have to buy, like, a pretty small amount, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I always, I, I'm, and I'm only, like, I buy something and I, like, make it and then I just end up drinking all the rest of it and, I already get enough liquid calories from the beer that I drink. I just don't need any more. So I try not to buy. I don't buy many other non-beer beverages. I don't buy a lot of, like, orange juice for breakfast or milk or anything. You know, I, that's my that's my concession. Because I can't concede on the other side. Ross is having to deal with me frantically laughing over here. I don't know if you could hear him kind of laughing. During, I had to mute myself while I was laughing so hard. Because when you were talking about drinking milk, I don't know why, but I just got the mental image of you looking like you do right now with the beer and everything. Doing the Will Ferrell thing from, um, I think it was Anchorman, where he's just out and it's really hot yeah. and he's just chugging. The- Milk was a horrible choice, you know that. Yeah, just pouring it on his face. Yeah, I can just see it. It's like, yeah, it's like going down his beard. It just looks disgusting. Apparently, I think that was ad libbed, by the way. I don't think that was actually in the script. Probably. Yeah, and uh, I get, I just saw you doing it and I just lost it. I had to like mute myself there for a minute because I was I was laughing pretty hard thinking about that mental image. So hopefully someone at home understands the reference and sees Ross just being despondent on the side of the road with chugging milk on a hundred degree day. Cause that would be a horrible choice. It's just a horrible choice. Cause it's, a, it's overrated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's, on a hundred degree day, of course it's a horrible choice. Um, it's just a horrible choice. I've got, an, I've got another overrated. Sure. Superhero movies. Um, like they're over, just all over, the same. Okay. I like superhero movies. I think it's oversaturated is the thing. Um, I've seen enough superhero movies for one life. Okay, so I, I can see both arguments. One of my favorite films over the last five to ten years is a superhero movie anyway. Just, the, I think the film is great. You know, it doesn't matter, whatever. Also, the last real, real reaction I had in a movie theater or seeing a movie was from a superhero movie. Um, 
was at the, he was at the end of the last Avengers movie. People can infer. I'm I'm not gonna. I mean, look, it, everyone knows what happened. I'm not gonna say the spoiler. Everyone knows what happened, but there's something happens at the end of the movie, and I literally wept because it's you know it affected me from something from when I was a, a child. You know, it's like literally my favorite character ever. You know, kind of thing, and you know that like if a movie can move you in that way, I think it's I think it's underrated. Um, I think they're great in a lot of ways, not great in other ways. I don't like that they're always competing and trying to be and trying to be whatever. So I can see the overrated part for sure. Oversaturated, I think, is a better way of putting it. But this is your opinion, so. But it's only oversaturated because the demand for them is so high. Every single one that gets made makes bajillion dollars. Yeah. Everybody goes to see it, and I just yeah. I'm, I've been done with them for so long. I just want them to stop, but they never will. It's really funny that you say that. Because I know it's not technically a superhero movie, but it falls in the same genre. One of my favorite things you've ever done is when you live tweeted yourself watching Star Wars. Yeah, in the movie there, because for one, God, that movie was awful. And listening to you, and listening to you, or listening, reading you tweeting through it, I like, I still haven't watched it again, which is amazing because it's free. You know, I have it on Disney Plus or whatever, not free, but it's on Disney Plus. I really should just watch it again, but it was just so bad. But like, just w- seeing your progression through that film was. Easily one of the best Twitter threads of the year at the time. So yeah, I think it was, it was also last a much year. happier time. So you know, I think it was last year, this year. It was January. Okay, so this technically year. this year, pre-COVID. How about that? Yeah, it was ten years ago. Ooh, I have another. I have another Ooh, underrated. R- real quick, I just thought about this. Are we gonna have a new thing in a few years where we start having BC, but it's not before? It's just before COVID. Yeah, probably. All right. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I have another underrated. Sure. The Simpsons. There are so many people now that like haven't seen The Simpsons. I, seen I have to agree with it. you here just because it, it has to be one of the greatest shows of all time. It's unbelievably good. I cannot stress this enough. I, It's so good. It holds up so well. Well, they knew the future, so. and it, It's on you know, Hulu, too, right? I think you can go back and watch. It's on Disney Plus now, I think. Disney Plus. I knew one of the... It's, I have like all the streaming services, so I knew it was on one of them. It has paved the way for so many other cartoons since it, and now there's so many people that think those are better than The Simpsons. And I'm, I, I do have somewhat of a bias towards like the the original thing, but in this case, none of them have risen to the level of The Simpsons. And it's unfortunate that The Simpsons has hurt its own legacy by so much for continuing well past its point of being good. When I say The Simpsons, I mean the first like ten seasons, mm-hmm. and it really the first uh, it's it's the first eight. That's when it starts going downhill. It was still fine for a couple of seasons after that, and to good. But for the first eight, it is a literal masterpiece. I need to probably go back and watch a bunch of it. I've seen a ton of that. You what know, you should not ever do is watch it with me, because when that happens, I start laughing at the jokes four minutes before they happen. Oh, because yeah, I know yeah, every yeah. episode, and I, I really, I'm not trying to do that. I just can't help myself. I know where the scene is going, and I just start laughing. Yeah, I know. I've been there. I've been there. Or like you, you'd be like, "Hey, make sure you watch this. Watch this. Watch this part. Watch this yeah, part." Yeah, be that person. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm just that person. I am. A, oh God, it's. Oh. Well, okay, I've got one that's overrated and underrated, and the, it'll tie into what you just said, and you'll understand why. Dexter is underrated for the first like four or five seasons, and then severely overrated for every season after that, and then we're coming back to the show now. Like, Michael C. Hall said well, he's coming is, back for... Isn't that what people say, is that the show gets really bad at the end? It's horrible for the I, last I think season. how bad it was at the end has made people forget how good it was at the beginning. 
Because it was and unreal. I haven't then. seen it at all, but I have heard that the season with John Lithgow is supposed to be amazing. And I believe that because John Lithgow is one of the finest actors of his generation. Yeah, um, that, that season is obviously amazing. I, I saw the ending of that coming, like the, the culmination of it, you know, like the end of the season. I saw it coming from a mile away. I think a lot of people did, but it was still, you're still fucked up that it happened. And it's a show that like doesn't pull a lot of punches. It's really, really good. The the premise of the show is pretty amazing. So I'll give the quick premise for people at home. It's um, it's centered on Michael C. Cole's character, Dexter, who uh, works for the Miami Police Department. He He's like a crime scene investigator, right? He works with like blood patterns and stuff. I don't even know if that's an actual job or if it's like, you know, a, fac- a fraction of a job of someone else's, but he works in stuff. And uh, he is secretly a serial killer. And there's just more to that, and so he's like he's living this double life. It's a it's an inner monologue show, which I'm a big fan of, because I like books a lot. So you get you get more of a character when like there's an inner monologue. You know, you, you kind of hear their thought process when he goes to stuff. And uh, surprise, motherfucker, the show is great. And anybody who understands that reference knows exactly what I'm talking about. But the show is coming back for like a limited engagement. It looks like they're gonna do like probably like a ten episode thing. Which let's be real, if it does really well, then they're gonna keep it going, you know, because money and stuff. But Hope, I have high hopes for it because I, I think TV shows that start and end, right? You know, you know your ending. It just has a good story and it tells that story is great because I think there's a lot of really good movies. And you've seen this in the past. A lot of the best movies are really long, right? You know, three, four hour long because they tell a complete story and they have enough time. And then when you have something like this, that's just what this is. It's just one really long movie kind of thing telling a big, long story instead of an eight, you know, 80 episode monster trying to you know incorporate all the stuff and it has to keep you engaged this whole time so they do some weird stuff in the writing but so there you go just like you made me think of that when you're talking about the simpsons and it getting worse as it went along so as i was saying i don't think i might have to re-come back to this one again next week if i have time because i kind of forgot that we had delayed this one because we didn't really give it enough thought but you had so so many good ones that we're just gonna start doing an underrated overrated segment just to rile people up yeah that's i you know what i kind of like this if anybody has a really good idea or would they want to hear our opinions on one send it in yeah let's make a new channel in the discord that's just underrated overrated people just submit things and they will talk about we tell you if it's uh, over under or properly rated yeah, and then if tell you what, if, if we have one where it's a really good argument, people could tell us who won the argument. Yeah, yeah, between us. We don't want to hear your opinions. They're irrelevant. Yeah, because like you, you could say your opinion afterwards. That way we could choose to read it or not. <laughs> it, makes, <laughs> it makes it easy on us. I'm joking. We love you all. Please, please don't stop listening to the show. But speaking of that, if people wanted to hear more of your opinions and wanted to see some of your underrated shows, tweets, or articles, where would they go? I did recently tweet out about TV, actually, to tell people to watch The Queen's Gambit. Which is I, really it's really on good. my list. I might start tonight. I actually you might start tonight. I really, really so want to see good. it. Yeah. Um, so uh, my Twitter is at Ross Hunneds. Uh, that's the best, you know, one-stop shop to get updates on all my content and streaming and everything else, and a good place to ask me questions about basically anything. Uh, then there's my written content for Star City Games, uh, my articles go up on Tuesdays at, at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's article is live already. It is about Selesnia, uh Adventures and why the deck is so well positioned. Um, so if you want to read about Selesnia, then the, you can do that. And then there is Versus Live, the web show I do twice a week with Corey Baumeister on the Star City Games Twitch channel from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays and Thursdays. 
we you know play whatever is relevant. We take questions live from the audience. We have a great time with it. So would love it if you could catch it live. If you can't, those episodes do go up the following day at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Uh, so you can watch them there on demand. And last but not least is my personal stream. I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. And I do try to stream mostly over weekends. Uh, usually Fridays like prep day, Saturday, Sundays, tournaments. Um, I haven't streamed it much in the last month, but I'm trying to get back into it. Uh, and that's generally when I've reserved time to stream because I'm playing those tournaments anyway. And I like streaming, you know, tournaments. It gets fun when I'm doing well. Um, so appreciate any support, uh, you know, following, just watching uh, a sub if you can would all be great. And uh, Tannen, if people want to hear more of your horrible opinions about milk. As I was going to say, if you want to follow my overrated uh, Twitter account, it's just uh, the Tannen Grace. If you want to follow me on Twitch, it's just Tannen Grace on there. Um, I haven't been active on that very much lately. I go through spurts, but I, I think I might be, you know, if I continue to like standard, find a deck that I really like, I think I'm going to do it. And then if I play the event this weekend, I also might stream it on a delay. We'll see. Um, I'm gonna, that might be putting too much pressure on myself. I'm probably going to time out if I do that kind of stuff because I'm an old man. I'm a little slow with that kind of stuff. Uh, as for the show itself, it does have a Twitter. It's at Cast Pioneer. Make sure you give it a follow on there. You can find a link to our Discord. Our Discord is very active. Make sure that you're uh, you're in the Discord if you're not in it already. Tons of magic channels, tons of non-magic channels, because we do like talking about non-magic related stuff sometimes too, as evidenced by the show. Lots of cool uh, sections in there. I'm a big fan of the TV and movies, sports, and food sections myself. I'm usually in there reacting quite a bit. The food sections... Bring the heat. We've got some really, really good posts in the food section. I also so. like spicy food, so bring the heat. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm usually like a, a one or two on the scale. Ross is more like a five or six, so on the heat scale. Yeah, I usually go slightly above average. Yeah, so I'm a little under because my tummy can't handle it. So uh, it's not that I don't like it, just can't handle it kind of thing. But make sure you join in there. Uh, no lots pain, of cool no things. gain, Tannen. Yeah, whatever. That's not true at all. Anyway. Uh, well, yeah, you won't gain any weight because you'll be shitting it all out. <laughs> but uh, lots of cool stuff going on in there. Um, also, we have a Patreon. It's at uh, patreon.com slash pioneercast. Thank you to all the patrons out there who continue to support us. We really appreciate you. There's a patron-only channel in there. We get a little more access to Ross and I. Ross will be posting stuff in there this weekend that only y'all can see about his deck this weekend. The list that he's going to be playing, probably a sideboard guide, right, Ross? You usually take the time to write out one of those. Hmm. Oh yeah, for this weekend that'll be that'll get put in the the Discord. Mm -hmm. Also, you heard us kind of talk about the mailbag submission section. That's another little perk for the for the patrons at home. You can ask us questions. We'll talk about it on the show. You can say your name on the show. Um, as for other rewards, some of them are coming down the pipeline. We got some new stuff coming in as soon as we figure out what to rename our podcast here, which that should be happening pretty soon. We've been kind of yeah. Let's talk about that later this week. I thought you meant like now. I was like, why now? I like no, I, I deer I deer the headlights for like a second. I don't know if you saw it. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. No. Sorry, not, <laughs> not, not, not on the air, but you know, later. Let's let's get the ball rolling on that. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna finish that soon. Um we will send you out the stuff that we already had made, and then we'll send you out uh some of the new stuff as soon as we get it. So make sure that you're uh you're helping us out as much as you can on there. Look, we get it. If you can't, if you can, we really appreciate it. Again, that's patreon.com slash pioneercast. That's gonna be it for us this week. Ross Fun episode. I, 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 fun. I was a little worried about you. You were a little uh, curmudgeon before this episode, but you you, you you turned it around nicely for this one. I appreciate Sometimes it. Sometimes I can come off as a curmudgeon even when I'm, I'm in a fine mood. Yeah, it's I just, think it's just your happened earlier. Yeah, it's just your face and your mannerisms and everything you say and do. I mean, like, it's understandable. I had a day this week that I just really had trouble getting to sleep, so I've been just recovering from oh, that over the last yeah. couple of days, and that, that brings the curmudgeon out pretty quickly. 
Honestly, I feel you on that and totally get it. So make sure you get some rest tonight, you at home. Make sure you get some rest, but not before you listen to this episode, hopefully. So anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week.